tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call, and Emma is looking after the show today. Coming up on the programme, tornadoes in Tipperary, would you believe? Has Shane McGowan's uh, funeral set a precedent around what is acceptable in a church where eulogies and music is concerned? We chat to our GP, Dr Pat Harold, our agony aunt, uh, Phil, will solve all of your problems and dilemmas. And we have relationships mentoring with uh, Susan O'Donoghue, our psychotherapist as well. Um, All of that and much, much more on the way. We'll also give you an opportunity to win a couple more uh, vouchers uh, celebrating Christmas shopping in Thurles. This is what you must listen out for. It's Christmas in Thurles. And that will be your cue to text and WhatsApp on 083 311 And uh, today we're giving away a one-for-all voucher in association with Premier Insurance on Liberty Square in Thurles and also a €50 voucher for Moran's Menswear on Friar Street in Thurles. So nice prizes there. Uh, so do listen out for that. You can uh, email tip today at tipfm.com at any time at all. Let's have a look at what's making the front pages uh, today to the Irish Examiner, uh, first of all. And uh, they've, one of their stories, uh, very interesting indeed, a Russian submarine which positioned itself uh, directly outside of the entrance to Cork Harbour was chased off by a British helicopter and warship because our depleted Navy does not have the equipment to protect potential underwater threats. You'd wonder what they were doing there in the first place. Um, the Irish Times, of course, right across uh, many of the newspapers today, coverage of COP28. And uh, seemingly, according to the Times, the UN climate talks in Dubai were thrown into crisis late yesterday as the EU threatened to pull out of the summit after a pledge to phase out fossil fuels was cut. The COP28 presidency released a draft yesterday um, which called for reducing both consumption and production of fossil fuels in a just, orderly and equitable uh, manner so as to achieve net zero uh, before or around 2050 in in uh, keeping with the science. But uh, it didn't go down very well with an awful lot of the participants and uh, it was due to finish, COP28 was due to finish I think about midday uh, today but now it will trundle on I believe. Uh, also on the Times today, uh, school leavers from disadvantaged areas uh, progressed to university in uh, close to record numbers this year which is a good thing. The Irish Independent their story uh, the main one on the front page, one of the big four energy firms has announced a second price cut in a move that will uh, force its rivals to respond with uh, expectations that a price war will break out. And SSE Electricity is to reduce its electricity prices by 12.8% and its gas tariffs by 11.5%. So that follows a 12% cut in electricity prices from the same supplier uh, that took effect on November 1st. And finally, a look at the Daily Mail. 
And uh, their main story, uh, welfare payments for Ukrainian refugees will be slashed and their housing entitlements uh, reduced in a new strategy agreed by the coalition leaders last night. But they will not be ejected from state accommodation if they cannot find somewhere else to uh, live. We'll be chatting about that. Um, a little later on in the programme as well. So if you want to respond to any of those headlines, again 083 311 We've been discussing the ferocious tornado sparked by Storm Fergus that ripped up trees and flipped over boats and cars as it tore through uh, Leitrim Village over the weekend. Now locals were completely caught off guard uh, when the freak weather uh, event struck, as you can imagine, and it's a very scary social media v- videos uh, showing the whirlwinds, paths of destruction. Now, Eddie was in touch with us to share uh, a, a story. Good morning to you, Eddie. Good morning, Stan. And good to talk to you today. There was a tor- too. There was a tornado, Eddie, in Boris again. Yes, yes, uh, back in 73, 74. And, uh, uh, it was very, very strong wind, very frightening at the time. And then... Uh, uh, it eased off for a few seconds and then I heard this unreal noise. It's frightening. My God. And what and damage did it do, Eddie? My, it hit, it came straight across at my house, it confronted the house, and the tiles started rattle and by did they start move, flying off front and back of the house. The tiles started moving. It didn't last too long. It's smashing tiles off the ground. It was really frightening, and it moved across back out back my back garden. Uh, it took you could see the the line of it. It took uh, uh, it took part of the ditch and a farmer's shed powder up. It took a corner of that off the house of the shed as well. It, it didn't last too long, and my wife wouldn't let me out to see <laughs> to do that when it happened to me. Yeah. So that morning, did I? came, I got up and went out a fair big hole in front of the house and in the back of the house, tiles gone. And I looked across at the church, which was in line with my house, mm. and the side, a big vacant hole on the side of the new church, not long gone up, uh, tiles were ripped off of that. My it God. Is, and and tell, tell me about the noise, um, Eddie, oh, because a lot of people it, it, spoke about that in, in Leitra Village. It, it must have been incredible, was it? It, it was frightening. Yeah. It, 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 see, if it happened, I thought it was gone. It, the wind died down for a few minutes. Mm. No, it just died down. And all I thought I heard this coming. It, it's hard to explain what it was like, mm. but it was frightening. And then when the tiles were rattling in the house, it really frightened you. Yeah, it, it, the, one of the um, witnesses in Leitrim Village said it was like hearing a load of articulated lorries trundling through the town. It was that big a sound, you know. It, it, it sounded, but it couldn't be as bad as they got now up there. Yeah. They, they got desperate, you know. Yeah. This is a straight line like a twister, and by it, it was frightening when you're in the house. And isn't it funny, the house beside me never moved a tile. Wow. We were attached. Right at the front of my house. It hit the front of my house and into the back of it. It took the tiles off them. Isn't that incredible? And did you see uh, it? Did it look like a twister? Did you see it in the sky? I, oh, oh, yeah. 
my wife wouldn't let me even get out of the bed. <laughs> she was looking after you, Eddie. <laughs> she was sure I was. No, no, if a slate hit you, that's the deal. <laughs> my God. Or tires, yeah. And and did everybody end up out on the street then when it was gone and wondering no, what no, happened? No, 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 no. Just, just a straight line across uh, from, like, it took a line, like, they hit the side of the church, the new church, starting long up. And it took, when I looked out that morning, I see the hole across at the church on the roof. So they took a line in it. Mm. Uh, a certain just like a twist, it just took forever with on the front of it. In, in its path, uh, It yeah. didn't last long, it just, but it was frightening. For and me. did you know any, that it was a tornado? No, I did not. No, okay. I had that too, till <laughs> there's a tile that's out and moving off the top of the house and flat on the ground. But it didn't last long, yeah, you know. Yeah. But while yeah. it was there, it looked like it was on for about an hour. No, that kind of, it was frightening. And was it covered in, in the media or anything? Was it covered in the newspapers? No. Or, no, 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 no. That that morning, uh, a friend of got, we got a letter before the rains had come down. Mm. And uh, got a letter and they put a, a, a kind of a plank inside my window and wrote out from there, tightened the ladder to that and got up to, to fill in the holes before the heavy rain came. So we got that done before the heavy rain came in. So we saved it. So a uh, few weeks afterwards, a uh, uh, neighbor of mine and, uh, and uh, another chap went up and they tightened down all the, the slates for us. We only landed into place to save the rain getting through. My God, it, it, it's incredible. So I presume all these memories came back to you then when you heard about what oh, happened. And, oh, oh, yeah. It, yeah. it comes back every time we have big wind, heavy wind. Yeah, yeah. It really comes back. And did you come across anything like that since, Eddie? No. No. No, no. no. So I remember when we used to be in young lad below in the bogs, mm. put the uh, foot on top of that, and you get this uh, wheel wind. Yes. And you see the, 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 the protocol just flying up into the sky. And then Paul Farrell person used to say, that's a fairy blast, used to call him. What, what, a fairy? A fairy blast. My God. He said the fairies, you don't go near me because the fairies are, are in that, or travelling in it. <laughs> Isn't that a lovely yeah, story? Just come on, come on over, just if he's there, putting maybe turf or turning, and you see this blast of uh, dust flying up into the sky. And it's really long, we go along the bog. My God. Yeah. That's just very, it's lovely to look at. It's yeah, lovely. yeah. They're small. But the, if I just said, that's a fairy blast, don't go near the fairy travels in them. Oh, is, that, <laughs> is that a lovely story altogether? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my own father always spoke to me so fondly about time in the bog, Eddie. He just yeah. loved it. He loved it. Yeah, you know, he yeah. loved the tea. He said tea never tasted as good as it did on the bog and all of this. <laughs> it's true. It's true, yeah. yeah. The billy cans yeah. and all of that. Yeah. You know. yeah. Eddie, it was a delight to talk to you today and a yeah. happy Christmas to you and thanks very yeah, much. I, I met you not so long ago in Killarney. Oh, in very good, Eddie. Six, down down in the clinic. Yeah. I was six years married and your singing partner came down to us. Oh, I remember very well. Sure, we, we were chatting. Yes, we were chatting afterwards. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. And uh, the first time I met you was in Brouveroo. My God. Back, uh, they had a, a Mackinac, which you were there singing, and you had a, 
the man from Limerick, you were a lady. The, Dennis Allen. Den, Dennis the, Allen. That's a, long, that's a long time ago, Eddie. That's you're a only a young lad. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, it <laughs> was lovely, lovely to talk to you, and I hope to meet up with you along the way, Eddie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Eddie there in uh, Burris again with a great story. Let's go to Donald. Good morning to you, Donald. Good morning, Fran, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, good to talk to you today, Donald. Did you witness a sort of a tornado as well? Well, actually, we did, and this was a good number of years ago, back in the late 80s, I'd say about 35, 36 years ago. And what we're actually doing is we're out saving hay, would you believe? Because my late father, we used to go down to his cousin and his uncle uh, to give him a, a dig out saving hay. Mm. And, and this was in the middle of summer, probably July, maybe. And it was a lovely warm day, as I remember. And my late father and his uncle were building a hay rick at the bottom of the field and we were gathering the remains of the bales onto a trailer and suddenly out of nowhere um, there was two rows of, uh, still to be baled if you like, mm. on the ground and out of nowhere this heavy wind came on a summer's day and it ripped up the middle of the field tossing what was remained of the hay that was still to be baled and taking it up what? literally maybe about a hundred feet into the air, and it was a, a funnel effect. Like you could see the thing revolving, and of course the hay was all scattered. Like you know, and it just ripped up the field. And it was a, a six-acre field, and it was going uphill gently, like you know, up the side of a hill, and it just ripped up through the field and disappeared in a matter of about two minutes. Thank that was God. it. Gone. And this was a summer's day, Donald. It was a summer's day. Yeah. There, there was no storm or nothing like that. No, there. but there was rain forecast. All right, <clears throat> hence the rush to get. For it was there for the hay that was uh, since we bailed, like you know, yeah. Uh, and you could see back in the west uh, the clouds were gathering, shall we say, but it was too sunny and clear uh, where we were. My God, <laughs> and was it scary, Donald? Well, it, it, it was, it wasn't very violent, like you know, yeah. but uh, where it was actually taking place, uh, it, it was uh, quite intense, like they seemed to be focused on one particular area. And it just seemed to drop out of nowhere and disappear as quickly as it came. My God. And did, did older people around the area have experience? Well, did they know my, about my, it? Yeah. Well, what my late father's uncle referred to it, that's a fairy blast, lad. That's exactly what he said. Like your, your previous... Same as what Eddie said there, yeah. Yes. And it just came and went and gone. A fairy blast. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. Now, um... I suppose you could refer to it as a mini tornado because it it distributed all the uh, um, characteristics of the tornado, like you know. Yes. Um, it just seemed to drop over nowhere, uh, soak up exactly what was in its path. In this case, a harmlessly, and then just disappear. And was it strong enough that if there was like you know a, a wall in 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 its path or a house in its path that it would have damaged it? Was it that? Did it have that well, kind of strength? In, in this particular area, now it was just a, a ditch around the field, like you know, yes. and there was no there was no structures in the field. Okay, all yes. was in the field was ourselves, uh, a thousand thirty five tractor, an Austin Cambridge, and a Riley four seventy two, both with trailers. Right. <laughs> That's how long ago this was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how exact your memory is on on the vehicles. I love it. Yeah, oh, well, I, I I was driving the Austin Cambridge around the field, gathering right. up bales, so. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it could pull uh, pull for Ireland, like, you know, oh, God, no yeah. bother to it at all. It's a great car, yeah. yeah. Well built, indestructible. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, no damage was done. 
just a, the tractor and trailer and the cars rocked a bit. That was it. Uh, uh, and, of course, we had to row up the, what was left of the hay afterwards again to try to put it back into a row to bear it. <laughs> and that was that. Yeah, Joe was onto us from Thurlistonal and he says, I remember a giant fairy blast. It picked up nearly a full field of straw and left straw all over Holy Cross Village back in the 1980s. So I, well, it's amazing. I never heard of a fairy blast until today with Eddie and yourself, and now Joe is talking about it as well. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the older generation would, be, would, would have known it quite well, especially in the countryside, like, you know, where he and straw would be disturbed like that. Yeah. But there was no um, apparent physical damage or no harm to any any living creature, shall we say, or, or buildings. Uh, it, it wouldn't have been strong enough for that. Yes. Um, but it, it was still... Well, to make wreak havoc on your hay, on your straw, obviously. I, I, I can well imagine, indeed. And did you ever see anything similar at any other point? No. No, no that, that was my one and only experience of it. Like, uh, yeah. It was just kind of amazing to watch this taking place in front of you. And, like, yeah. thankfully, there was no harm done, apart from uh, a bit of a furore after us to gather it up and, and <laughs> try and save what was left of it before it rained again. God, I can imagine, yeah. Um, somebody's saying the whirlwind that you're talking about, older people called it the Shigri, which, again, she, I suppose, would be fairy as well, wouldn't it? And, and uh, It sounds... Yeah. 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 I, no, I never heard of that one, no. Yeah. Uh, Gui, I suppose, yeah. could be wind, so but, fairy wind or something like that. Yeah. Well, so I, I remember my late father and his uncle um, capping off uh, a hayrick and making sugans to actually secure it before the rain came. The Sugons, that's with twine or something, is it? No. No. Uh, what you'll actually create there, friend, it's actually made out of straw, believe oh, it or not. Oh, right, okay. And you you create a little S-hook out of a piece of wire. Right. It gives that in the shape of an S, and you wrap uh, a piece of um, long hay around the end of it. Yes. And, and you'll, then you'll twist it, and then you'll feed in more hay into it, and you'll end up with a rope. Wow. wow. And it's very, uh, very uh, strong. What's that called again, Donald? A sugon. Sugon, yeah. 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 And okay. it, it is a hay rope. Yes. And then you secure it over the hay rig, or the hay, the hay tram, and you'll secure it with a piece of uh, bent-over hazel, a hazel rod. Yes. You, you literally push the hazel rod into the base of the hay tram or rig, and you'll tie the sugon to it. And it's very secure. It I, won't move. I love hearing about stuff like this, because that, that's fantastic. I mean, that's real old traditions, isn't it? That's... Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, that, I, I mean I've seen that done in our own yard at home by my late father. And sure, uh, his uncle like, would have been an expert at it, because he'd yeah. be doing it for years, like, you know? And, and this, it's, it's just... Yeah, and this secured to the hay, obviously, yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. It, 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 it literally ties down the hay, Rick, or... Um, uh, the hay tram, whichever, and what you might be using it on, and it is won't move. My God, isn't it? Isn't it great altogether? Did did some memories come back to you then when you heard what happened over the weekend with Storm Fergus and this? This well, that's the one that came back to me, like you know, particularly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, we've had storms over the years. I remember all things. Um, remember Hurricane Charlie back in '86. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I remember having. I was on the road to Ross Grey that day. And there was no motorway at that stage. Like, you know, it was just the, the old N7. And it was particularly violent and rough. Mm. Um, and well, we got there and back in one piece, like, you know, yeah, yeah. in the case of being caught out in it. Because 
Hurricane Charlie wasn't forecast at all, really. It, it just turned up. Did it? What, it, it? There wasn't much talk about it beforehand, there was, was there? There wasn't, there wasn't really much warning about it at yeah. all. It, it just happened. <laughs> And, it's, it's, and it's the country was caught with hands down, basically. And, and what, uh, do you, what do you make now of all these warnings now where you're getting yellow warnings and orange warnings and red warnings and stuff about... Do you think that's a good thing? Well, it is a good thing, friend. But the funny thing is that, I mean, we've had a few storms now, uh, what do you say, about four at this stage mm. that have been uh, classified as, and named. Mm. But in between, we've had localised wind that was actually worse and there wasn't a word about it. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I mean, I remember here a few windy days and you couldn't go out in it. Uh, but there was no actual warning. But it seemed to be localised in one particular area. Yeah, because my my friends in the in the music business and the entertainment business they they have grave concerns over some of the warnings that are coming out uh, that are frightening people completely. And then you, it turns out that in your area, or your county, should there's hardly anything at all. But people decide yeah, to not the, to go out. To, then you know, to, so it's to the bammy day, like yeah, you know, nothing yeah, happened at all. And of course, that would affect that industry particularly because people are afraid to travel. Of course, of course, and you can't blame them. You, the no. area you're talking about, by the way, is that Money Gall, Donald? It is, yes. Right, okay. Now, and that's the same particular field, would you believe this now? And just, we'll go into a little aside here now for a minute. Before the arrival of President Obama, yes. um, that particular field overlooks the holding fields in Monegal. Mm. It's a nice plain view. And my father's late cousin, or sorry, my late father's cousin, I should say, the third way around, mm. he, he took up one day uh, a cow and a calf up to the field. And he was just about to open the gate, and here he sees this fellow wandering around the field inside in a trench coat. He says, holy God, this fellow must be lost. And so he approached his father's coat, and he identified himself as a secret service agent, if you don't mind. In the field? In the field. <laughs> they were just checking out the place in advance of the presidential arrival, because Marine One would be landing in the GA field, and of course... If any fellow was feeling uh, so like it, uh, he'd have a, a nice clean shot from that particular vantage point. So he was <laughs> checking out the field. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yes. What does my nice cousin says to him? Don't worry, he says. When this lady goes in here with her calf, there's nobody going to go into it. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and if they do go in, sure. they're not coming out. <laughs> but, uh, have you ever seen a cow defend a calf? <laughs> she will do anything. She'll do anything to protect. angry. Yeah. What, and what, no did the secret, what did the Secret Service man make of that? Oh, oh he says, mm, that's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's like our own secret weapon here, like, you know. <laughs> I love it. That, that field must be on the border there between Tipperary it's, it's and, very, and uh, isn't it? Very close to it is the border of Tipperary and Offaly. Yeah, yeah. Because I know like that the just, GAA field is almost on the border there. As far it as is, as yeah, yeah, it is. You're right yeah, there, yeah. yeah. But, like, it, 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 it's elevated. It's not uh, hugely high, but it, it just sort of gen- gently grades uphill, if you like. Yeah. Well, Donald, it was lovely to talk to you, and thanks very much for coming on with me, and happy happy Christmas to you, Donald. And many happy many, many happy returns uh, to yourself and all your listeners, and shall we, we, may, we may talk again before the big day, before the chap in the red suit arrives. Well, I, ho- I hope we will, I hope, and I hope you've been a good boy all, all year long, Donald. Thanks, well, thanks I, very I, much. I'm trying desperately to be on Santa's good, uh, <laughs> good list, shall we say. Me, me too, Donald, me too. <laughs> Bye-bye to you, Donald. Thank you, thank you, good morning to you. Um, Fran, I uh, witnessed many of these these mini tornadoes, says Brian. Um, we knew them as she 
Gs, she Gs, is it she Gs? And uh, we used to feel privileged to, to see them lifting the hay or straw, and it was fairly common at the time. So again, I, she, I guess, is fairy and gree would be wind. So again, it would be fairy wind, I suppose. Um, if I can ask my Irish-speaking experts out there, you might you might look at that for me. Uh, Fran, did you ever hear of a Sagan chair? I did indeed. Um, Donald is talking about surely a few around Anacarty, says Kitty. I wouldn't mind a few of them myself because I, I love them. Uh, thanks for that, Kitty. 83 311 A small tornado in Banagher a few months ago. It was caught on Liffey Mills' Facebook page. No damage done. Thank God, says Jamie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Well, still lots of talk about Shane McGowan's funeral in Nina. On social media, a lot of people who were just delighted at how the funeral went off and how the event was handled and, uh, you know, the various contributions to the ceremony um, were also making the point that, you know, their families at times were denied an opportunity to speak about a loved one from the altar during a funeral mass. Now, some of us have also come across very strict rules around non-liturgical music in churches under some parish priests at weddings, for example. And sometimes these rules, well, they can cause great distress to to families. And how can a priest deny a request for a simple eulogy or a favourite song following Shane's funeral? Or is it a case that rules don't apply if you're a VIP? Now, we've been putting this up on our own social media platforms and Teresa was in touch. Good morning to you, Teresa. Good morning, friend. Good, good morning, everyone. Good to talk to you today, Teresa. What did you make of the funeral for Shane McGowan? Absolutely fantastic from beginning to end. And it was about a celebration of life while he was living. And I think also a celebration of life when he is passed away. Um, it was brilliant. It's, mm. it's, it's what a funeral should be. Because in it all, you had the sing, you had the songs, you had the sincerity and the kindness, which, you know, which was um, Shane, but it, it's also matching up to a lot of other people as well. And do you think it now sets a precedent in some way that, you know, people might want a sense of celebration at a funeral mass and should they be allowed to have that now? own individually right to do what they want uh, working with the priest. I think the priest has um, come come more or less with most of the people in today's world which is good because you know I mean um, to, in, to sit down there and I mean Friday evening you've seen the people coming out, smile on the face mm. happy. Mm. It wasn't morbid, it was beautiful and I think that's a part of the church that has to come forward. Church can be at times a little morbid to some people because you are dealing with death. Um, but you've got to look at the happiness in the life before death and look at the happiness of what they're going to have after death. Yeah, I, personally, I think it was a wonderful, wonderful ceremony. But I know myself of situations where families were denied a eulogy in the church and from the altar, for example. They were allowed to speak at the graveside, but not not where the church uh, was concerned. Um, 
I'm, ju- I'm just wondering, I, I'm wondering how a priest could now deny that in light of what happened in Nina, if you know what I mean, Teresa. Well, I hopefully, and I, as I say, I'm not a church goer myself, friend, but yeah. I do believe in God. Yeah. And what I love with the church, and especially St. Mary's, I don't know what it is with St. Mary's inside Nina. It's so inviting. Mm. Um, mm. I think you have to celebrate the person's life on earth. Mm. You have to celebrate what the person is involved with. And if that is through song, through dance, through whatever poetry, why not uh, give a little bit of that back in the eulogies and give a little bit of that back as the last time on earth for that person? I mean, they were all saying about putting up memorials and that. It's all right to put up memorials, but when the person is gone, they can't see it. You know, I look at it, let it be the last celebration on life for what they have done. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Priests are beginning to, I think, look at the human way of life. Mm. There is a few probably still to the older generation. But to see the priest smiling on that altar and, you know, it was lovely, actually lovely. For a person now that wouldn't be over-religious in Mm. that line, I actually thought it was beautiful. And could you see why maybe some people who might be more conservative in their faith might be offended, Teresa? I can, but that's where I say again, Fran, individuality is person's own choice. Yes. I mean, right, if someone you know that had be that way, passed away, and they want to quite, I suppose, dignified or whatever way they like to put it, mm. they want it their way. Well, there's nothing wrong with that either. Mm. I mean, but if a person wants to celebrate of what they had and what achievements they had, there was nothing wrong with that as well. You know, you can work with people and I think you have to work with people um, in all factors of life to work, mm. to get religion right. Because I see myself now, I, I noticed there's been a beautiful concert inside in St. Mary's and Nina over the years. Mm-hmm. And whether to be hymns or whether to be whatever you like to say, Tommy Fleming is a fantastic um, advocate even for the ones above and knock. Now he does a beautiful job on yes. it. Yeah. But, I mean, Shane McGowan's songs and poetry is to the rock side of it, music. Mm. And, I mean, that's his way. Actually, I learned a lot on Shane McGowan about his history and reading books and the whole lot that I didn't actually know. And no, in recent times, Teresa, is it? And not so much recent times. Yeah. At the mass the other day and out there when Ulysses and all that and James Joyce. Mm. And people would say you wouldn't associate that with Shane. But, by God, he actually does. Oh, he was extremely so, well-read, you know. Oh, fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Mm. I mean, I met Shane a couple of years ago inside Nina. Now I'm going back. And I met him inside in Phillies, actually. Did and you? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And actually, quite a nice man. And I remember he says to me, you know, will you have a drink? And I said, no, actually, I don't drink. He said, you're one of the lucky ones. And I thought that was lovely. Yeah, yeah. But... You see, I was brought up in Pecan, so it'd be down from Kearney Commons, where I originally lived, and we had a little bit of history that we could talk about going back over the years. And he was just a very plain, honest, kind, sincere man who bought out what he bought out through song, poetry, and laughter, and entertainment. And, I mean, any man that can do that, there's nothing wrong with. And and you think it was perfectly right that that should be reflected then in, in in his funeral ceremony? Actually, I 100% because he he gave to God his way mm. and his way was through songs, poetry and whatever else. Mm. 
and actually to the way he was with the statue of Our Lady, which I thought was beautiful when his wife paid a tribute that he wouldn't like anything in front of the Madonna. Mm. And I mean, he was in St. Mary's Church, which is Our Lady's Church. You know what mm. I mean? That mm. sort of a way. It was if it was actually fate. And I, as, as I say, I think God in himself and maybe St. Peter was above looking down and say, God, this is what a holy should be. Mm. And this is what celebration of life should be more so. It was sort of quintessentially Irish as well, wasn't it, Tracy? You know, there was totally. particularly Irish about it, totally. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, yeah. totally. Take out, even take out, uh, say, the, the VIPs and the whole mm. lot. Mm. The ordinary people of Ireland came there. They sang with the song. They applauded. That does go on, and you know what? That's applauding him for his for what he has done for us as Irish. Mm. And it's applauding him for what he has done with his life stories in his songs. It wasn't for anything else. It was to say, thank you, safe travels on your way to a better life. You know, that's the way I'd look at it. Yeah, and do you know the other thing that struck me, actually, was that, you know, when you see the African Christian churches and the African Catholic churches and how they... Um, the wonderful, wonderful music in the churches and very much their culture celebrated through the ceremonies as well, you know? <laughs> Why, why yeah. shouldn't there be even more of that here when you think about it like that? Fran, about eight years ago, I was over with my daughter in Canada and um, we went to service, as they call it, over there. Yeah. Now, again, I tell you, it was one of the best Christmas days mass I was ever at. The song, the laughter, but you came out happy. Yes. You came out in giant. And you know what? It was done through song and it was done through gospel and some of the fantastic gospel choirs that is out there is unreal. Yeah, and it's amazing. The word you're using is celebrating. And, you know, we we hear about celebrating Mass an awful lot, but, I mean, what we saw at Shane's funeral was real celebration, wasn't it, you know? Just a celebration of the life of Shane. And I think that's where it comes in. And whether it be Shane or whether it be you or me or anyone else in the morning, what's the harm in celebrating that person's life? Mm. There's not a thing in it. And God does say in certain parts of the Bible, you have to celebrate, you have to honour. So if we're celebrating on earth the end of an earthly life, but he's going to a far better life, as we're told. He's going to heaven. So why not celebrate that and send it on its way with a good celebration? Well well said to you, Teresa. Well said. And uh, thank you very much for coming on with me. And happy Christmas, Teresa, to you and, and your family And thank you, well. Fran, and all, you. all in Tip FM. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye to you now. Uh, another listener on to say what the clergy forget sometimes is that the church is the people and it was the people that built the churches and when a person died, they should be allowed to celebrate their funeral with the wishes of the person, naturally within reason and uh, respect. 0833113311. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie says it's not denied in Nina Church, Fran. It happens at uh, every funeral. People talk about their loved ones at funerals in Nina. Well, we hear all sorts of uh, wonderful stuff about Father Pat and indeed his generosity in the church uh, there. Uh, glad to be joined now by former County Councillor David Dorn. David, good morning to you. 
Good morning, friend. Uh, really good to talk to you, David. Um, you were at the, the, the funeral, but you're making the point that hopefully it will set a strong precedent for future funerals in line with family wishes, David. Yeah, absolutely, friend. If I could just say a few words about the funeral first and, and the outpouring yeah. and the people in Ina, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, look, it, it, it was a privilege, friend, to, to be present in the church, uh, you know, to witness the... the the music, the singing, the eulogy, and what Teresa was talking about there, it was special. And, you know, to have Michael D there and to to, to see Johnny Depp and Glenn Hansford and all the, the, the great and the good, but breaking into applause and song and laughter. It was, it was just, it was, it was strange, but appropriate. It was beautiful, really. It was a celebration of his life, but we were there for for Glenn Hansard and Lisa O'Neill, which I hadn't heard of before, mm. the, the fairy tale of New York. It was one of those magical moments. It was like, it was like I suppose, Finnegan's Wake. It was something mm. I think that he would have approved of. It was, it was, you know, it was, and, and to hear uh, Nick Cave singing Rainy Night in Soho mm. and Amelda May, and, you know, it was just special for him. And, you know, I thought, I thought his sister's eulogy uh, was really moving and, and personal and... Uh, like eulogy should be, but was appropriate and Victoria spoke candidly about Shane as well. And and uh, mm. uh, you know, Jerry Adams to hear Jerry Adams speak and to be asked to speak by the family and mm. you know to you know the way he he said it, well, it, that was a very uh, special friendship there, wasn't it? It, it was yeah. a special friendship, you know. Uh, and out of all, I suppose people that he would have mixed it in, in that political world and mm. the other world, he was chosen. And, Mm. No, he said that that Shane supported the, the the people of the six counties during the war as well mm. as the peace, and it was lovely. But but I know I, I think it was it was, it was it was great to be there, friend. But just to, to to say about the 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 people in Nina, I, I wanted to, to acknowledge from the bottom of my heart that the, the you know I just felt going through the the, the streets in Nina, the way the, the their depth of character, their decency, the way the the. The business people had the music playing. The photos were up. There was a welcome there. Mm. Uh, the council staff were there. You know, very respectfully, parking people. The local sporting clubs had all rode in behind it, and I think that that was you know that was lovely too. To, to, to Father in. Pat's homily as well. I mean, like that must have been very difficult to place that homily properly in terms of what was going on around it, if you know what I mean, David, you know, and to get it right. And he got it perfectly right, didn't he? Absolutely. I think he, I, I, I don't know the man, but I think he did a fantastic yeah. job. You know, the, the eyes of the world was on him. Uh, but but he, 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 he got it absolutely right. And, and you know, yeah. uh, that wasn't easy because, yeah, yeah. you know, he, he kind of, he, and, and I think he had said that he would be kind of, you know, I think friends with the family, but he would have liked that kind of music and that genre and stuff yeah. anyway. But uh, you know, there was none of the sanctity of the, the funeral last. But and yeah, if if the president is that, that we're going to have dignified, you know, celebrations of people's life and reflecting their life, I hope that's upheld because uh, you know it will always, of course, not compromise. Yes. No, the sanctity of the occasion, but but uh, I think it, it absolutely didn't, and you know, uh, you, you know, I would be, you know, I would attend mass, and and I would have respect for that, and you're entering the house of God, uh, and the funeral, in my opinion, should never descend into a circus or be taken over. Uh, George and I, I think that wasn't. I mean, he was this national figure. The president was there. All the the people that he mixed with, uh, but he was a, you know, it, it still, it struck a kind of a normal kind of man of the people kind of a funeral as well. I mean, anybody could, could 
there. I, I was there. Uh, you just arrive in time and the doors were open and they filled up and it closed. There was no kind of special arrangements or anything that I could see. You know, that kind of way. So, uh, um, and you know. There, there was a kind of, I mean, I'm choosing the word carefully, but Tommy Tiernan used it about something else. He, he When he was talking about the Irish nation, he said there's a wildness about us, you know. There was a wildness about it as well. There, there was. You know what I mean, and, you know. And there was a kind of, to, to, to was, it was a kind of, it was a beautiful wildness. Yes, I mean, yes, yes. It just, yeah. it just, you know, I mean, everything was done right, as far as I could see. The, the, the remains received at the door were led up and, 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 the gifts and the readings and there was all intertwining with music, the gospel, the the, the community was all done very respectfully. But then, when that moment when they sang fairy tales in New York, that will be remembered for 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 time immemorial. But people, just, the, the chief mourners, got up to to, to waltz around. I think it was exactly. It was like as if he was choreographing it from beyond the grid. It's exactly what he would have wanted. Do you know that kind but, of? Way? But it was spontaneous, though. It was. It was fun. It was spontaneous, but beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. If you know what I mean. And yeah. it's very hard. It's very hard to strike that balance in a church, and particularly at a funeral mass, and, yes. and you know. And, and I've heard uh, you know commentary, and I heard you saying it there about people being denied non-liturgical music or, mm. or yeah. liturgies. That, that's that's. I, I think that's very very wrong because, and I know that happened in the past, but I I didn't witness it myself and. But but um, it it is wrong because you know I had the privilege of of when mum and dad passed away and it was during COVID indeed uh, of of doing the eulogy at both their funerals mm. and actually sang at them just as they were leaving and to be able to do that is just something that you'll treasure you know and that they would have loved to kind of speak mm. a few words but I think anybody uh, been been denied that. I'm not saying that it's widespread, but but it would definitely rankle with people, you know. Yes, well, well, it definitely. I, I mean, it is still happening. I know for a fact it is still happening in 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 certain places, and it does yeah. annoy people, and it does make a, you know a difficult situation even more difficult. Then I suppose in some ways, you know. Ah, uh, uh, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I know no, we're talking within the, the 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 realms here of respect and doing the right thing, and not something completely outrageous. I suppose, you know. I, yes, absolutely, but. I think you know. In fairness, when you go into to, to any priest that I would know, uh, uh, you know, in local parishes, that if you go in and, and you have your music or difference, you know, to represent mm. the priest or say a few words, I don't think that's now been been denied people. But but if it, if it is in any shape or form, it shouldn't be. And wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if it came out of this funeral of one of our own? Shane McGowan and, and you know yeah. all he's built and whistled, but but obviously being a man of faith himself, that that wouldn't it be a lovely legacy that you know the doors opened a bit and there was a bit more of relaxing about that, which, which kept the respect as well. You know. But but you see the other side I do find is you hear people saying that a celebrity or a local sports person or senior politician that you know if you're asking me should the rules be bent for them or special treatment? Absolutely not. I, I think mm. that everyone should get the same kind of you know that was just. What happened in Nina last Friday was reflective of Shane and his life, mm. and I think it should mm. be the same to everybody. You know? Yes, of course, but but many people, <clears throat> including myself, God knows, I, I I'd like something completely quiet with very few people around. You know, people yeah, are different yeah. in terms of what they would yeah. want, I suppose. For sure, 
Yeah, for, for yeah. sure. It's lovely to kind of a person wishes to be carried out. I think that's lovely. That yeah. Of, yeah, of, co- of course it is life. indeed. But but, but all in all, you think the people of Nina particularly should be very proud of themselves. And uh, Absolutely. Fine. Yeah. I think they should be. And, and the way they, it, was, it was just lovely, the way the whole lot, the council staff, the different bodies, the people, the, the, the sporting bodies, the, the way the photos were up, the music was playing, it was dignified. We actually, a bus, my brother organised a bus, a bus came from Torlis. Uh, uh, to the funeral, you know, just to, to yes. a typical part of American respect. But the way, you know, everyone was speaking about the way the people in Nina, and you know, I think that would have meant an awful lot to him as well. I suppose being a proud Nina man. Of course, it would indeed. Yeah. M- many people still lament to me the fact that David Doran is no longer a councillor. David, is there anything I should know about your your intentions or anything? Oh, well, look, I had the privilege. I had the privilege of representing the people uh, of Torres and surrounding areas for fifteen years, and. Yeah. You know, Nice that people are still talking like that, but yeah, I, I would I would still have a very keen eye on on, on local issues and the community and politics. I always enjoy politics, friend, but so yeah. uh, we, we wouldn't rule it out. Wouldn't rule it out. Very good. Of course, no, no longer part of the the party. So would you be looking at an independent? Uh... Uh, well, look at fan. I I. I would you know I would be very much um, in tune with my former party. Uh, you know I have great friends and colleagues in it, and and uh, look, we'll see we'll see what January holds, and we'll, we'll we'll take it from there. We'll enjoy the Christmas and see, but uh, no, I always enjoy politics, and oh, I love politics. I love being able to help out people and make a difference, and you yeah. know. Um, can I put it to you that thing that I brought it up with you first? Will you give us first first go at the news when if there one, is news? One, one hundred percent, fan. I wouldn't. I wouldn't pass you. I wouldn't pass you. <laughs> All right, David. Happy Christmas to you and your family. Fan, I want to wish you a happy Christmas and, and everyone listening. All right, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks for everything, David. Thank you. Bye bye. You now, former county councillor David Doran. They're not ruling it out for next time around. So that's uh, kind of interesting. Do you know that your Christmas dinner, by the way? It should taste a bit more gorgeous this year because it has gone up in price by over 3%. And that comes as grocery price inflation now sits at 8.6% in the 12 weeks to November 26th. It's uh, the seventh month in a row in which there's been a drop in grocery inflation, but it's still not being felt by consumers in any really significant way, we're hearing. And reacting to the fall, Emer Healy, who's director of retail analyst Cantar, said that uh, this is good news for consumers, although the rate is still incredibly high. But your Christmas nosh will be costing you an extra 3% this year. So I'm sure that will make you enjoy it even more. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Ho, 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 ho. It's Christmas in Thales. Indeed it is. And uh, we've got those uh, vouchers to give away. So that's your cue to text and uh, WhatsApp. If you give us your name and your details, we'll pop you in the draw. We have a one-for-all voucher in association with Premier Insurance. And they're based on Liberty Square in Thurles. And Moran's Menswear as well on Fire Street in Thurles. We have a 50-euro voucher to give away for them uh, two from them, indeed. Uh, listener says, Shane's funeral, I thought uh, Father Pat was excellent. No airs and graces, all the readers introduced by their first names only. 
Um, one of the good things I got from Shane's beautiful funeral mass was uh, my discovery of singer Lisa O'Neill. What a great voice. Uh, I don't know how she slipped under my radar, says Joe in Thurlis. Uh, Patrick was on to say, I had a celebration in church for three of my family funerals. I think I'd love a send-off like Shane got. 083-311-3311. Now, government party leaders have given the green light to a proposal that would limit state accommodation for new arrivals from Ukraine to 90 days. The changes, which will go uh, to Cabinet for formal approval tomorrow, will also include cuts to welfare rates. Now, it will mean that the current rate of €220 Euro per week will fall to €38.80 for the period that people are in state accommodation. Now, this will obviously only apply to people who come in uh, over the next uh, weeks and uh, months, not the people who are currently here, of course. Um, They would receive a higher welfare rate when they leave these centres. Now, Peter Ryan is a regular contributor to the show, regular panellist as well, and joins me now. Peter, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you this nice morning? I'm well indeed, Peter. You have concerns that these proposals could be challenged in the courts, I think, Peter. Is that your point? Well, it's it's one of my points, yeah. Um, like, I can't understand how we could give somebody €220 Euros today and we're going to come up with, whoever came up with, uh, with the figure, 3880 uh, in a week or 10 days' time. Mm. Um, I think the 3880 is the amount paid to asylum seekers from other countries. Uh, so I think that's where that comes from, Peter. Yeah, it, but it's uh, it's like it's the figure tidy. Why didn't they make it forty? Like you know, to keep it tidy and keep it handy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> All yeah. these these crazy. How they come up with these figures? For that I yeah. just don't understand. But anyway, that's another story. It's it should always only have been um, a, a, a rate. I'm not saying thirty eight is enough. It's, it sounds very very drastic to come from two twenty to thirty eight. Mm. Uh, I would have thought from the very, very start, and I'd still think every everyone that came in over the last two, three, four years uh, put everyone on a hundred. Mm. Everybody. everybody, everybody. You think that and would have been that, fair? Is that it? Yes, that that would be my point. Uh, like, why should um, my brother get two twenty, and I come in a couple of weeks' time, and I only get thirty years eighty? Um, Anyway, like mm. we are not a we are not a country that can afford to pay that kind of money. But let's face let's face it, Peter. Let's call this what it is. I mean, it's a deterrence yeah. to other people who are thinking of travelling to Ireland, isn't it? It's to stop people from travelling. Uh, yeah, but how come? What's going on? Have we an election coming up very soon? We do. Like, how come this? We were talking about this for two and a half years. Ago. I know. I remember. And I remember. we spoke about it, and nothing actually. What we said then is still completely standing up. Well, do you remember and people were abusive to us about it and calling, totally. calling all sorts because, of things? Yeah? Because we were, we were, we were racist, we yeah. were something. Yeah. But at, like, uh, at least we could see ahead. Mm. But every, the amount of people that said to me, God, Peter, isn't it great? At least now they're putting them back on the money. Like, mm. I don't, I'm not celebrating that. That's not a real didn't, didn't great. But at the very start, what mm. was wrong with us? How did we get it so wrong? And now, all of a sudden, it can all be changed. But they're still not admitting they got it wrong, but they're sort of trying to, to, to turn the horse at this point. I'd say right? just that the opinion polls probably, um, yeah, that probably frightened the daylights out of them. Like, you know, it's, it's, they are trying to turn the horse, of course, and it's, it's, um, 
Well, going back to your story earlier on this morning, when you'd be bringing the cops of hay in and the big trams and they tie down with the suckings and that, like, I remember that. Like, our country have come a long way, really, mm. when you look at the mobile phones and uh, the way we are now. But uh, you, I, I do know one thing, trust me, I have to turn the horse. <laughs> and I think this government will find it we'll find extremely it hard to, to, to turn, turn this horse, well. you know. Now, it's important to point out as well that my my understanding of this, because it's still a little bit cloudy, is after the 90 uh, days, um, if if somebody then, if, if you go out of the accommodation that's been assigned to you and you get your own accommodation, and if you don't have work at that point, you, you'll go back to getting €220 Euro then at that point. And where are you going to stay? Well, do you see, this is the point. Where are you going to stay? We don't have the houses. Like, uh, we have over 10,000, haven't we? We're nearly 11,000 people that we have no homes. But more than that, almost 14,000 at this point. Wow. Well, mm. Yeah, I, I, obviously, I didn't say. Mm. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy, almost 14. Mm. And, like, how can, what's wrong with us that we can't see that we don't have the houses or the accommodation to take anymore? Like, uh, well, just, we can't keep taking people in, putting them into your tents. You look out just at the evening at six, half at six, out your, any door of your house or window. Mm. The torrential rain that fell. Like, you imagine being inside in a tent. Like, that, that's completely wrong. We're taking people into our country and treating them like that. It, it, it's scandalous, you know. Yeah, Leo Varadkar said the basic principle that we're going to apply is that we offer people fleeing Ukraine in Ireland... Uh, should be similar to what's offered in other parts of Western Europe. But that's now he's applying that, you know. Which we told Leo that three years ago. Yeah. You know, like, it's... it's Where did he come up? What what happened? Where did... Did, did he... Did someone in Europe give him a ring and say, Leo, hold on a second, like, you know, uh, this is the story and this is the way it is now? Like, obviously, he didn't come up with that himself because if he did, he's fairly slow if it took this amount of time, you know. Yeah, he also goes on to say, and obviously this is the the humanitarian way to look at it, but he says we're not going to throw people out of their accommodation if they have nowhere to go. So in other words, what, what is the 90 days about then, you know? if you Yeah, because we can't put him into accommodation because we haven't accommodation. How can we throw him out? Like, if they're not in there, they can't be thrown out. Yeah. Like, this, this thing, if you're inside in a tent when you come over here, do that is that a ninety day thing or is that different or like the whole thing is pretty vague, you know. Well it's very vague because I've been doing my best to read into this this morning and it's all over mm. the shop. It it's just totally all over the shop, you know. It is, and there'll be another change to this plan within a month. I guarantee you, because this is not this is not going to work, this idea is they'll they'll somebody come along and they will bring it to the European courts or some court and say this is discrimination. Uh one person is getting two twenty I'm getting 38 or 39, and um, that's discrimination. So that's not going to work. The other thing that struck me as well is that the expectation, as I understand it anyway, is these changes will kick in in the first quarter of the new year. But in other words, anybody that comes in between now and then will get the 220, and, you, you know, so... Like, yeah, see, it's just mad. Like, anybody that wants to come in, They'll make sure they're in here before this um, change comes around. Yeah. There is an awful lot of people that need help, but there's an awful lot of people taking the pee out of it as well, Frank, in this country. 
Yeah, well, we, know, we know that almost one third of those yeah. here at the moment, uh, this is the secondary country. In other words, they've gone somewhere else. They probably looked at here as being more accommodating and more generous, and they've come here. Yeah, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of that's, that's the chaos. And uh, like that should have been stopped at the time. Like, if you flee a country because of war, whatever country takes you in are good enough to do that. That's where you, that's where you stay and you're lucky. Rather than getting a phone call from the brother or sister or father or mother saying, come on away over to Ireland, shall we a great crack over here. They'll give us a house before their own and they'll give us um, 220. They'll leave us drive around without having to do driving tests or anything else. You well, can do what well, you like over you, here. You know that they're at pains to say they're not giving people houses ahead of Irish people. I mean, that they're at pains to say that that's not, not happening well, there. You, 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 you tell me if you're listening to people I'm listening to that just can't get a house, mm. and I know myself because I'm in the I'm in the the building trade that every second house is being done up now for um, for the the, the to immigrants accom- to know? accommodate refugees. It's is that, is that your experience, Peter? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It is. If if you're doing a house up now for for um, for immigrants, there's no you can just plow on. Everything's fine, provided you're not doing it up for one of your own, like in this country. Then all the all the laws and rules and regulations have to come in. And is there an easing of regulation if you indicate that <coughs> the accommodation will be made available to? Yeah, if you sign up that it's you're going to hand it over, there is an easing of regulations. Sir. Well, that that's that that that's for definite, Peter. Is it? That's well, it's it, it, it that's that's for that's easier to get stuff if it's for um if you're if you're handing over your property, sure, it's advertised every day in the week, every day on the radio. If you hand over your your uh, property for um, immigrants, uh, because the council are looking for them and that, okay, the council haven't saying it's exactly immigrants, but we know who's going into the houses, like you know. So it's uh, it is easier to get us if you're handing up if you're handing up your property for that, yeah. So, but if you want to do up a house for your own child or your own family or a member, then you go through the ropes. So these new rules and regulations, you think, they won't mean very much then, no? No. No, I think this whole thing is... I think the whole thing is absolutely crazy. We just have to bite the bullet and say we're full mm. and look after the people we have here properly. But I wonder, did anybody get them out walking, get them sorted, get 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 them um, putting stuff back into our, our economy and our country? Did, did anybody at that leaders meeting last night make the point that after ninety days, where would these people find housing? You, you know, um... you'd, you'd wonder like the, the, the three three leaders, like you know, like if there's one person, they might just have just kind of set ideas like and 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 maybe very hard to turn yes but when you have three of them with 40 or 50 advisors each uh you'd imagine somebody come up with that um question plan yeah and you think this there's a direct relationship between these proposals and the fact that elections are looming there's no doubt in the world about it there's no doubt this is this 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 probably proposed that to help out all the councillors and MEPs and that, but uh, because like our MEPs, uh, I find it hard to explain how we are so generous over here and the countries, the people sitting beside them in in office in Brussels and that, uh, 
have completely different rules, you know. Do you know, so I, 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 I think I mentioned this yesterday, Peter, but I'd love your opinion on it. I, I think the most important political statement over the last few days was made by MEP Sean Kelly. And he was asked, you know, why he's going back and why he wants to go back to Europe. And he made hmm. it quite clear. He said, but sure, that's where all the decisions are made. That's... It was absolutely brilliant, uh, yeah. And and I actually, I actually rated, I always rate Sean Kelly pretty highly. Like yeah. he's yeah. he's um, he's pretty good in my book, but like he's so right. Mm. And someone else made the point, like that uh, Claire Bailey and uh, Mick Wallace and that they were clever enough to know if you want to have a say and want to make decisions, you have to leave Ireland politics and go to Europe. But but then. That's nothing new, really. Like, uh, uh, Kelly tells us that, like, is, should we all know that? But to, like, see it, to see it written starkly as a statement... Yeah, I, that is, that, I, that's pretty, yeah, yeah that, 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 that is true. We're always saying it, never talking about it. But to see it written down is, is, it's fairly clear, all right. But I think maybe that's the message that's being told to get out there now. That, yeah, being ran by Europe... And like, don't don't be cutting yourselves, like you know. But we are, Fran, and that's we are. We have been for a good few years now. Yeah, well, I mean, I understand we're part of the union and the certain responsibilities <clears throat> and obligations uh, as part of the union. But I mean, <clears throat> still, we're supposed to be a sovereign country, with you know. Uh, you're sovereign, provided you're not getting loads and loads of money for years and years mm. from from every other country and that like you it does always a payback for anything you get and we needed Europe in the 70s to get us out of the hole we were in I'm sure and the amount of of money they pumped into us the roads the, all the farmers grants all all of this stuff like somebody had to pay for that now I know I think we're actually having to pay a little ourselves for the other poor countries that are coming to the yeah, EU. I, I wonder, but, are our memories very short though? What about the Troika? And what about, you know, all that happened with those years of austerity after the crash where we, we all paid the price, Peter? Every we're still month. paying it. Yeah, we're yeah. still paying it big time on the USC and all that. And, yeah. and uh, we'll be paying it and our children and grandchildren will be paying it. But it's down to the people that were, were, were running us at the time. Greece took a complete different uh, stance on that. Everyone said that they'd be completely wiped out, they'd be forgotten about, they'd be overran and they'd be gone under within five years. Greece are absolutely flying and we'll be paying back the money that we we um, uh, told them we would forever, you know, because we were, in, in, instead of the striking all them being told to fake off on that time, uh, we brought them in and left them clean us out. We paid all the bankers, paid all of those people off Big time, but at, and, hu- at uh, huge cost to the Irish at people. Huge, huge cost, man, uh, and it, it's uh, like that's kind of forgotten about. And like, I would like to remind: uh, there was two of the parties that are in government today, mm. in government that time as well, mm. and both of them got wiped. But still, mm. they're still there. They're still well, holding. Well, the Phil would say to you that they had to pick up the the tab on this and they had to do the hard work and the dirty work and I'm sure Labour would would say that as well, you know. Yeah, and and and, and then Fine Gael came along and brought in and went into bed with the two parties that actually bankrupt our country. So it's very hard to take them serious as well, friend, you know. 
All right, Peter. Like it, Good. I beg your yeah. pardon, Peter. I cut you no, off. What, no, what, what were you going to say? No, it's it, like it says. It, it's it's just what suits the keeping power and um, and this change to the. Um, the immigrants and all of that, that is now because the public out there are really, really upset about all this carry-on and the opinion polls have made that have made that um, pretty clear to the politicians at the moment. All right, Peter, great to talk to you and thanks thanks for your time. Happy Christmas to you. No, and you, Frank, and you, Frank, and all your gang. Cheers, take care. Bye-bye, Gina. It's Peter Ryan speaking to us this morning. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Uh, hi, friend. I'm a postman from Clonmore in Templemore on uh, delivery here in Port Leash. I listen to Tip FM every day for the chat and the banter. I love your show, so please keep up the great work. And can I give a shout out to all the hardworking postmen and women throughout the country? And uh, that comes in from Jimmy today. Well, Jimmy, um, well done to you and everybody involved with the Postal Service because I know it's a hugely busy time for you and it's extremely well uh, appreciated by everybody. I want to assure you of uh, that. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie What is that absolute nonsense going on about whether or not to name the park in Carrickinshore after the Clancy's? I mean, of course it should be named after the Clancy's. I had a look at what I think is that rule they're referring to. And it's a wait of 20 years before you can name a park or a road after a person who has made a significant uh, contribution or persons, I guess it was. Now, the rule, my understanding, it was imported from the UK because many parks and roads and housing estates were named after people who turned out subsequently to be unsavoury characters. And then there was an enormous process to rename the places. Now, that's my understanding of why this was introduced. But we're talking about the Clancy's here. For God's sake, you know. Anyway, how do you feel about that? 83 311 We've been chatting to uh, a few listeners this morning again about uh, Shane's uh, funeral and whether or not a precedent would be set around what would be acceptable in a church where eulogies and where music is concerned. We're delighted to speak to a great friend of ours, to uh, Helen England. Good morning to you, Helen. Good morning, Fran. Hello. How are you? I'm well, Helen. I'm Fran Curry Park, although that rule about 20 years, you see, you'd be caught, Fran. You know, well, they, when it all comes they'd, out. They'd find out, they'd find out a bit about me over the two decades. That's the trouble you see, <laughs> Helen. Although, God forgive me, I was there thinking, was something called Devil Air and Nina. Devil Air, of course, or something. But anyway. There you go now. But, but let's yeah, not yeah. quibble. Um, it, 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 tell me about, you were at the funeral, Helen. I know you thought it was just incredible, didn't Phenomenal. you? Phenomenal. Yeah. 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 Do you know, Fran, I was saying to someone, we came back from it. I brought my daughters as well. My husband was working. And he came back from it. And we were just like, did that just happen? Or was that a dream? Because you come back then and you're like making the dinner and stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah. You know, and I was, the only way I could describe the whole thing was it was so local, the funeral, and then so international and there was no in between. You know, so say I was sitting there and behind me was my neighbour, Jerry and Frida and mm. this lovely lady sitting beside me, Kitty from the time. You know, and next thing you're like, oh, there's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Johnny Depp over there. There's, um, you know, all oh, right, Jerry Adams has come in. It was like a dream. It was like a dream you'd have after eating a loaf of tea. It was and Helen, what were you expecting when you went, if you know what I mean? What I don't know. You see, I just, I don't know. I was, well, I suppose I was expecting that. I, I was expecting brilliant music. Yes. 
which is what we got, yeah. you know. But the love and the celebration of a life and the just the pure, ordinary chats that came out, you know, it was just phenomenal. Like, it, it really was. It's, it's one of the best decisions I've made is bringing my kids and, and going to that, to Shane McGowan's funeral, by far, you know, and... And what did you mean, Helen, when you said you were waiting for conversations around what happened to emerge? Well, it wasn't... I I was waiting for... Because it was so out there and so superb, Mm. you'd always get a bit of... You know, these ones that are like, oh, gosh, it did it, you know, and having Mm. an opinion on... When something's so superb, there's always a few that will be poo-pooing it, you know. But at the same time, I was up in Tullamore yesterday. I had been to Tullamore Hospital, and I was talking to this lovely man. He's a counsellor up there, and I, he was saying about because you know me and he's like, "Oh yeah, yes, you sent it. You give him a great send off." And I was like, "Yeah, it was fast after that." And uh, he was saying, "You know, I bought the paper." He says, "Whatever day, the day after, a couple of days after." He said, "I went straight to the editor's section to see it," mm. and I said, "To see what?" And he goes, "The letters of complaints. There's always someone. There's like this man's well into his sixties." And he said, because there's always someone complaining, but he said, you know what? He said, there was no letters. He said, I was so happy to see it. And he was saying, it's great to see that that kind of people complaining and moaning, you know, is dying And and I have to say, most of the people who complained, it it wasn't really a complaint. They they were very complimentary about the ceremony, but they're saying, you know, it's a pity that in the case of my dad or my brother or my son or whatever, we we would have liked to have had a eulogy. We would have liked to have had certain songs. We were denied that. So what they're wondering is, is this a precedent? Yeah, that's a good question. Like... We're very lucky in this parish to have the likes of Father Pat. For sure, yeah. Father John Malloy, he was our priest here. I'm um, up in Ballinry, Tumivara, and uh, he's been moved to Rusgrave. Well, I'm so jealous of the people of Rusgrave. We've well, lovely Father Francis, and so. But uh, you know, these priests, our priest, we are fight here with the priests that we have because they're so incredible. I've watched Father John at very close range and I've watched how he is with people who are grieving. I watched them comfort a woman who had just lost her son and I was watching him, you know, I just happened to be there and the comfort that he brought, they are brilliant priests that we have anyway. We are quite rotten with our priests down here. I have come across priests before up where I'm from as well. That we're lucky up at home we have the like the Father Darcy and stuff, Brian Darcy. Mm, mm. But there's other priests up there and or across the country who have not been like I I know of a priest who did a mass, not in this parish, not in this county. And with the son of this lovely man and this the man who died gave his life to the parish. He volunteered he did all his free time was to the parish. And his son read a poem about his dad, you know, after the at the eulogy. Mm. And the congregation clapped. That was it. It was not, you know, and the priest got up and he'd give out for about three or four minutes about that would be the last time someone would clap at the funeral of his. Wow. You know, and that galls me. Because you know what? It's our church. Mm. Mm. It's not the priest church. It's the people of the parish is the church, you know. And I think some priests have been allowed to forget this. And um, and, and it's not right, you know, because it is our church. And if, if someone wants to get up and talk and sing and my God, I'd love if my funeral was like that. I don't think I'd have any uh, celebrities there. You know, wouldn't you be there, Fran? Maybe well, absolutely, absolutely. you can depend on it. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and um, you know, and to have that level of music, but that's the way it should be because it's our church, you know. Mm. So I think 
more, and, and this is why the last three funerals I was at were not, what's that word, Fran, for in their, um, not in the church? Uh, humanist. humanist, yes. Yeah. Mm. The last three I were at were humanists. The last three or four people I know got married did not get married in the church. Yes. Because people are saying, well, listen, no problem. You won't do it. That's grand. We'll do it. You know? And and I can't blame them. And I, you know, I do sometimes laugh to myself or smirk to myself thinking, my gosh, some of these priests and some of these parishes have some nerve. Considering what they've done to this country over the years, and we still have the arrogance of these priests telling us that we can't do a non-religious poem at a, at, a, at a funeral or we can't play a bit of music like you know that's not religious like t- tell me something that's even more beautiful than the old Carolyn tune played in an ill and yeah, sure of course you know that's what we had at our wedding you know yeah. uh, but tell me that that's not and and before all of these man-made rules come into our church here in the good old pagan times people danced and sang and everything. Do you know, I, I'm delighted you use that word pagan, and mm. and I mean this again with the greatest of respect. Mm. But there was a wildness, and there was almost yeah, a, was a pagan element to yeah. it. You, you know, actually, we were beautiful. I and I do remember, and actually, she was at the funeral. But I remember Melda May said, and I think I've said this on the show before. She said, "I wish I knew my mother uh, without all the religious." You know, if there'd been without all the constraints of religion, I wish I'd known her if she hadn't been kind of, you know, restrained by religion. Wow, what a, what a wonderful statement! And I often think of that. You know, I often think of that. If we would just let be with, and there are man-made rules. This isn't about God. This was about control in this country and many others. And we have the likes of McQuaid, and along with De Valera, to thank for this in inverted commas. You know that weren't allowed to do this, and you're not allowed to. You know, our pagan days, we were the most beautiful people before all this nonsense was put on us, you know? Like, don't get me wrong. I, I have my religion, mm, and, but it's yeah. very personal to me. You know, I don't need to stand two feet, you know, two rows from the railings, you know, to um, to be, you know, to show my religion or show off my religion. You know what I mean? Religion is a very personal thing, and I'm not berating anybody, you know, because I have beautiful neighbours here that are so devout. And they get a lot of solace from God. Mm. And that's great, or no, from religion. But there's solace from God and there's solace from the church. And there's a, a gap in between. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, and the, the other thing that it it, it made me realise as well, the, the way African uh, people are able to incorporate their culture wonderfully into Christianity. Yeah, that was us, Fran. We were that. Yeah. You know, that's the sad thing about it. And if you go to, if you see the likes of New Orleans and stuff, they still... Sure. dancing and the whatever. That's a great and point, yeah. yeah. Your, your life should be a celebration of who you are. And so that church in Nina, we I've never seen, I, one of the proudest times I've ever, in my 23 years living down here, is one of my proudest moments. Our town or, you know, and the parish and our priest showed what it's all about. And do you know what? And I hope, and I don't mean to get too personal with our own priest, I hope nobody gets a bit of a slap on the knuckles for letting certain things happen from the powers that be. You know, hand off our priests, you know, as well would be my kind of thing to them. But And what happened was so organic. Yes. And so yeah. natural. And like, and by the way, there was lots of times in that church where you were deep in prayer. Like Father Pat did a beautiful job. There was still, you know, communion was given out. We said our prayers. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of reverence. There was a lot of whatever, you know. But yeah, Victoria Clark, she left over the fuse twice. Good on her, you know. 
and more power to her and everybody else. But we were up on our cues and when, you know, when they started singing Fairy Tale of New York and it was such a bringing together of a parish. It was absolutely beautiful, you know. Well, and I know there's people watching from all around the world. Oh, my God, the amount of people will say, bury me in Ireland, bury me in Tipperary, bury me in that, in that parish. And they're right. And and do you know what's lovely on on programs like this? I presume, but certainly on this program, um, the the outpouring of appreciation for Father Pat and for the church oh, and stuff. I, I haven't come across that uh, for yeah. For so and it was long, Pat, yeah. it was Father John, it was Father Rex, and, yeah. and that lovely new priest we have with the long hair. I can't remember his name. He's not that long in the parish. Yeah. You know what a welcome to a parish. What a welcome. Our own Connor Reedy. You know we had people there from Nina Parish. Connor's part of Nina Parish. Deborah's there as well. And they were there, and Connor was, you know, the official escort for Michael D and yeah. Deborah and all her, you know, these people that are in the church every day. And they were still, it was still their church. It was so great to see them looking after their church because they are part of Nina Parish. You know, they're the people that are there every week, midweek. They're the ones getting the church ready for, say, Christmas and for all the, for every Sunday. They're there. And it was lovely to see them still being the people that were guiding and showing people where to sit and asking people, listen, would you mind just hearing because we need to get Dan in here. You know what I mean? When he of course, yeah, him. because it would be very easy for something like that to be let out to an event manager or something. But, yeah, but this was, I was kind of expecting it. Yeah, you know, when we yeah. walked in and I walked in with Selena Maris, great photographer from the time, she walked in with us and we were like, it was so great. We were saying that. It's not great to see it's all the local lads. I know. You know, and the guards were our local guards. And one beautiful moment when Shane was being led out and, you know, the coffin was being carried out. And I, I the um, the guard that was standing, to you know, and he saluted the coffin. And I oh. swear to God, I could have cried my oh. eyes out at that moment. And that's the thing that was beautiful. Yeah, Johnny Depp, Depp happened to be one of the people carrying Shane McGowan out and stuff, you know, carrying the coffin. But like I said, and it was Billy Ryan. And it was our local guards, like I said, it was Deborah and it was our, our priest. That was brilliant. And do you know the way sometimes we're like, oh, God, you know, they were very um, big deal in the parish. You know, there were six priests and two bishops and, you know, and all. And there was none of that. Like, and when you could see Shane McGowan listed on RIT.ie with the rest of us, like, it's just class. The, like. But the ordinariness of that, I thought, yeah, was, was remarkable. that's why I said it was so local and yes. so international and there was no in-between. Helen, lovely, lovely to hear you on the programme again. And thank you so much for your time, Helen. And uh, happy cool. Christmas to you and your lovely and family. And happy Christmas to you and yours as well and everybody. Thanks, thanks, Helen. Love about you thanks. now. That's my, my good friend, Helen England. There. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Oh, uh, lots more still coming in. It was Margaret was on to say, though, it's so uplifting uh, having watched uh, Shane's funeral in our parish. You would not be allowed to sing a favourite song. Um, of the person who passed away and Margaret goes on to tell me where she is from. Margaret, thank you for that. 83 It's time for our GP slot now with the Nina-based uh, Dr. Pat Harrell. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Pat. And we've been to, God knows the spotlight has been on Nina now for the past week or so. Uh, Pat, uh, the funeral was incredible, wasn't it? Oh, there was an amazing atmosphere about the town um, and sure, it wasn't Shane send off wonderful. wonderful I yeah. only spoke to him a couple of times, but he was very well liked that. And yeah. um, 
very, very fondly thought of. And you know what came out that really impressed me, Fran? Um, I just heard more stories about kindness of people um, and people he was very good to that nobody really talked about or under the radar. But lots of people came into me now have um, have stories about him that um, I can't tell you, but they're very, they're wow. all very favourable. But you know what kind of strikes me a bit, Fran? Um, he was born on Christmas Day. I had no intention of talking about this when I came on, but yeah. he was born on Christmas Day and he spent his time with the poor in the downtrodden and at no time for the trappings of wealth or respectability whatsoever. And, um, but now he's gone, well, the, the, the wealth and respectability will probably um, embrace him, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? You know, I'm sure his, his picture will be up in every pub. And, you know, deservedly so, like he was a great person. Of course, and, and but but under the radar, he was very good to people, you're saying, Pat. And he was very, you're very hearing good stories to of people, that, yeah. and he was very kind. And oh. um, he, he had great kindness, and he had great capacity for friendship. Uh, you know, um, mm. I mean, big, strong men I know around here are very stricken. You know, um, my own two good buddies, um, John Quirk and the Brick, were very, very close mm. to him, I know. Mm. So, um, and, and James McGrath was very close to him. You know, people I know, and um, they, he had great capacity to look after people and be nice to people, and, you know, and then they had great capacity to hang out with him. So, yeah. you know, a lot of, lot of men that age don't um, have very strong friendships. You yeah, know, they let them follow, but, but Shane never fell into that trap. But isn't it lovely to be able to say that about somebody who's passed away? You know, for for these things to emerge at this point, it's just just yeah, uh, fantastic. Yeah, and wasn't the music just lovely? Oh, sure, stop, just stop. Um, Pat, the you're going to talk to us today about respiratory infection. We're hearing a lot about that. Is it in babies? We're hearing a lot about that. Ah, uh, yeah, it's about no the RSV, the respiratory syncytial virus. It's um, you should look, it's always been about France, but it's um, it seems to be particularly um, pernicious these days. Now, almost all kids, by the time they get to two, have had it at some stage. There's no vaccine for it. And this is the time of the year, winter heading into early spring. And most times you don't even know you've had it much. It's a cold, mm. runny nose, um, cough, a bit of a sneeze. Now, but if it's a baby under one, um, it can be quite serious. And the other thing is children and adults with an underlying lung or heart condition. Now, you know that lovely ad that's on? I think it's just gorgeous about the granddad and the baby's coming home. Sure, yes. he's, yeah. he's, he's not allowed near the baby. Yes. But he eventually gets to hold it. You know, I'm a Christmas time, people moving about. I suppose just if you've got a lung or a heart condition and you've got a snotty baby, <laughs> that you could pick it off them and wash the hands um, and don't um, be in the crater, you know, until... You're better. Yes. Now, but if you're a perfectly healthy adult, you didn't even listen to that. But if you've got a weakened immune system, you know yourself, especially if you're aged over 65. Um, there's no home test for it, and most of it's a cough, wheeze, runny nose. Um, but um, after four or five days, your baby or your young child can get bronchiolitis. And bronchiolitis, bronchioles mean the tiniest little um, airways. They're like the. Um, if you could think of a tree where the trunk is the main one, it's like the leaves in the tree. Yes. And they can get all clogged up and inflamed and the baby breathes very fast. So one of the first things that somebody comes into me with the baby, with the thing, I, I sit there and I count the respirations when, the, when they're asleep mm. and you get a good notion. You can often hear a little wheeze for the Yes. The hearing rays are narrowed and it's like um, a tin whistle, you know, we're kind of going through. And if they stop feeding um, and they're not eating, um, now they might, want as much but if they're got it and you don't get the, the wet nappies you know mm. um, every mm. every day you know which means the baby's getting dehydrated and it can it 
right. And and now, if it's really getting out of hand, you can see them really have trouble breathing. They're going blue and they're gasping and they're going faster. Um, and um, but if the, if 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 they've dry nappies, you should give one every twelve hours or so. Um, so look at uh, you can you can take a look at the, the child and. They used to use mist temp. They don't use that too much. Um, sometimes people like to get a good fog up in the bathroom and wrap the child in a towel and let them mm. breathe. No great evidence it works. won't do any harm. But never, 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 if you have small children in the house, toddlers or anything running around, be trying to steam with kettles of boiling water oh, God, things because somebody's going to bang it over and... Well, it happened, it happened to a friend of mine recently who had her head in the basin, you know, with the the, the towel, and ended up knocking the basin down on top of herself with boiling water. And, yeah, and yeah. Really, yeah. If you're sort of a mature adult alone in the house, maybe, but if you have a four-year-old going to go flying into you, yes, bad idea. Of right? course, yeah. And, um, uh, and sometimes they need steroids. Not always. You know, yes. most of them pass off. But, like, just if you look at under the weather on the HSC website, it'll tell you what to look out for and the respiratory patterns and all that kind of thing. Very, very and, but um, it's it's about, unfortunately. And um, the, the flu vaccine, the flu virus is a different a different virus, mm. basically. But all, all kids are can get a little squirt up the nose from 2 to 17. We need to keep the flu down as well, which will keep all healthy here right, as well. And that's available to them, I know, at the moment. Yeah. Are, are you seeing much flu around, Pat? I haven't seen too much flu, yeah. per se. But I've seen a lot of colds, a lot right. of coughs. Okay, very good. What, what are you going to say to me about leaf blowers? Now, I have to say, I, I think they're one of the most useful things ever brought into humankind because I don't get why people would use them. But what about, you're going to talk about health hazards of leaf blowers, Pat? They're very hazardous for your health. Are they? And very bad for the environment as well, Fran. Which is why they've been banned from 100 American cities and um, the states of Washington and California. Go on. Now, as oh. you say, they are, they are, now this is the petrol leaf blower. And right. um, the petrol one, they actually they are they are pretty good useless, to be honest with you. Um, one of the things is you, Fran, have the most sensitive ears of anybody I've ever met in my life. But you would know that you, you, you've got this book and it's doing 100 decibels, yeah. banging away. Now, if you're within 50 feet of that, it'll damage your ears. And how often do you see somebody doing that with ear protection on? Rarely, Hardly, rarely, almost ever. never. But yes. well, if you could be sitting in your garden and the person next door decides a few leaves are, are, you know, I don't know, he must be expecting Djokovic, the Federer, to come and play <laughs> around him on his lawn or something, you know. The leaves are actually pretty, they're good for your lawn. Yeah. I mean, if you big pile of them, the grass will die underneath, but a few of them, they're very good for wildlife, very good for biodiversity, they're very good for feeding the grass and they're feeding the hedge and everything. Um, no one of them is, is just, but it, it, apart from the fact it's really seriously bad, lasting damage to your knees. A two-stroke engine produces more smog emissions than or all. The, the, the leaf blowers are more damaging than all the cars in California, the 14 million of them. Wow. And they reckon if you use it for an hour, it's the same as getting into your car and driving 1,600 kilometres. Are you serious? My yeah. God. And when it does, it, it kind of fries them, it blows the hell out of them. So there's any little insects or anything, any eggs or anything, they're just killed. So you're just... Um, Reckoned biodiversity or biodiversity. And when you're blowing it, you, you're putting up. Now I'm going to read this. This I got this from John Gibbons, who's a very good writer. Mm. Um, and I got it in the. Um, I like to get the um, the examiner on a Monday because it's mm. very good um, nature in my life section. Yes. But what you're blowing up into the air is a toxic cloud of mold, pollen, animal feces, fungal spores, heavy metals, and residues from pesticides. And that's the operators, especially those employed by contractors. So if you're using that all day long, you're getting high level noise and toxic fumes. 
perfection, and yet I, I never see anyone wearing a mask doing that either. So um, there's a huge backlash. Now, if you do have to use one, you can use a battery one. And I've got a battery one myself mm. to give it a whoosh shot that by way, you know, and, um, and and feed the hedge. And it's, it's really good. But, you know, the best thing to get out of all is the garden rake. Yes. Um, it's good exercise. I don't see any point in going out for half an hour with your leaf blower and then heading for the gym. You know, <laughs> when you can... <laughs> a bit of exercise you have your compost yeah, and, so, and yeah. you know how you I'll just because I, I you always bring like to bring a bit of ergonomics into everything um, if you're doing it the way you should sweep with a broom as I learned years ago when um, before I ever even thought of being a doctor you, you do it sort of sideways you ever see certain somebody with a gondola or punting and the yes, river yeah. to Cambridge you do it sort of sideways and you can go all day if you push the thing pushing the broom like the song says isn't what you do sort of a sideways swipe and you can do that great for the upper body strength, great for the thing, get you out, tick all the boxes. And um, but a, a petrol leaf blower is a bad yoke and should be brought to the recycling centre and not used at all. You know, yes. and um, that's it. it. Sounds very good. <laughs> and it confirms my prejudices about, about leaf, <laughs> leaf floors. Well, well, you know, it's no joke if you're trying to put a baby to sleep or something. That's I know. And yeah. then next yeah. door is, is going with this thing at night. Um, it, it is, you know, I mean, I can see the point, I suppose, when there's a big pile of leaves and some, that somebody might slip on. But in most cases, you don't need it. All right, Pat. Great advice as always. And lovely to talk to you, Pat. Thanks Thanks for hey, your time. Take care. Thanks, Pat. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, my good friend uh, Pat Harold there, Dr. Pat Harold in uh, Nina. Well said, Helen, says one of our listeners, everything I would like to say but could never say it as good as uh, Helen. And that's referring to my chat there with uh, Helen England. Uh, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Now, our vouchers for Christmas shopping in Thurnus going to the Premier Insurance. They've given us a one-for-all voucher uh, worth €50. That's going to Jimmy Gilman. Well done to you, Jimmy. And uh, Jimmy's in Clonmore. And the €50 voucher for Moran's Menswear. They're based on Fire Street. They're wonderful. Uh, shop have been there many, many times. That's going to Michael Kennedy from Rossmore. So well done to you both. Now, speaking of giveaways, at Clonmel Rugby Club Male Voice Choir, they're presenting a Christmas concert this Thursday, the 14th of December, in the uh, Abbey House of Prayer. That's formerly the, the Friary in Clonmel. We've two pairs of tickets to give away uh, for the show, and all you have to do is text Christmas Concert followed by your name to 083 311 That's Christmas Concert, followed by your name, 083 311 That's the Clanmail Rugby Club Male Voice Choir with their Christmas Concert, and it's always a great fundraiser every single Christmas, and I'm sure it's a great night out as well.
For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. And Phil is with me, and she has all the solutions under her arm as well. How are you, Phil? I'm fantastic. I have a lot more under my arm. But anyway, yeah, yeah can't <laughs> and, complain. And great to see you, as always. Um, will we kick off um, letter number one? Dear Phil, I'm a mum of three kids, all under ten. Before COVID, I always made sure that we did a Christmas day out with the kids that involved a visit to Santa. When I was looking around for the best place to visit, at Santa this year, I found that the prices were absolutely astronomical. Uh, I really just can't afford it. So I just decided that we would do the local party in our town that features a visit from Santa and leave it at that for this year. That was fine. The kids seemed happy once they got to see Santa, but I'm starting to feel really guilty about it. Every time I look at social media, I see pictures from uh, uh, people who have taken their kids to all these different Santa experiences all over the place. They all look great. I would never begrudge them, but it makes me feel like I'm a mean mother and I'm depriving my kids. To be fair to them, the kids, they haven't said anything about it. I am aware that this is my issue alone, but I can't stop these awful feelings of guilt. When did the Santa visit thing become such a big thing for Christmas? Dearest mum of three kids under 10, this Santa visit became such a big thing in your head only. Yeah. This is not, um, you know, this woman has beaten herself up. She's, she's, she's obviously a good mother, wants to have good experiences. But good experiences, for her kids, it could be going off collecting pine cones in the forest. Mm. It could be um, roasting marshmallows with supervision, naturally. Um, it could be about watching a nice film with the Christmas tree lights on and sort of having experiences. It could be about watching the Christmas channel and having popcorn, do things a little bit differently, but not outrageously expensive. I don't know why people would subscribe to standing around in a cold queue and possibly a wet and damp one. For ages. For ages, yeah. expose and kill. And I'm not trying to do down people that like to go and visit mm. Santa. Mm. And it is fine when it's all inside. But when you have these very lovely atmospheric huts that are in, you know, out in the open air, kids can get really chilled and then become ill. So, you know, I really think she needs to stop overthinking this. Mm. She's already brought the kids to a place inside. And they don't seem to have a problem. The kids and are, they don't. You see, that's why this, this mum is really feeling guilty. But you know what? Social media, they show the best of everything. Mm. It's the most sanitised version of foolery and tomfoolery mm. because it's absolutely... The, the scenes and all the rest are, can be greatly enhanced. It can look absolutely fabulous. And as you know yourself, if you see things on the internet, sometimes that are for sale, now you see disclaimers all over the place saying this is Another. from a bot, yes. this is from a thing, this may not be, the you may not receive it, it may not work as, as described, or, you know, that it's, it's just being dropshipped. It's mm. a new term. Mm. But this lady needs to really sit down and just smell the coffee. Her kids are fine. This is all in her mm. head. And perhaps she should give herself a present for Christmas of stop looking at social media to see how much of a failure she is reinforcing for herself because she thinks that everyone else has it better than her. God, that's a great point because we're all measuring ourselves now against what we see on social media, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, but social media, I mean, I mean, if you're to look at even the filters, now I wouldn't even know how to put on a filter. I wouldn't even know mm. how to put on a face, actually. Mm. Well, I would, but <laughs> it wouldn't be the good one, you know. <laughs> but um, yes. I, I think people have an extraordinary um, ability 
to put themselves in the halfpenny place and just say, oh, I could never compete with that. No, you can't if you haven't got the filters that make you look like someone completely different. And I mean, I have to say... And I, and I do, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but like there are people enhancing themselves now for a, a, a picture they have of how they should look. And it's not a normal, it's not a normal face. Mm, mm. Lip enhancement, cheek enhancement, it's yes, fine. Smooth and skin. It, yeah, yeah, all of that. Yeah. But like, I mean, I'm meant to have enough skin for three faces at this hour of my life and I'm okay with that. Yeah, do you know so. what I mean? But it's, it's just, people can just get pictures on social media where everything looks absolutely perfect and it's enhanced or you might find if you lo- go and look for this image that you see on the page in front of you that this is a, a, a stock image from somewhere in America or know. in you know and people are comparing you know visions and they're comparing views and they're comparing trees and visits to Santis and everything that's enhanced I mean it's all really and truly the real action will be to sit with our kids, go and watch the Christmas time. Let's say, let's mm. assume we're going to have dinner by the fire and we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Make it meaningful and do you know what? Stop comparing yourself to others and she should stop looking at social media because it's not helping Very her. Good. And, and she, her kids are fine. And she's a good mother by the sounds she of She sounds like a great mother and she's trying to, you know, financially look after things at a very expensive time of year as well. You know? It is, but again, you see, what she considers to be a good experience for kids could be an awful experience mm. for kids. Do you know yes. Sorry about that. I have to get up. Let the listeners talk away among themselves there for a moment. I apologise about that. Little alarm. It's 11-11. Time to get up. Time to get up. Time to get up. But um, people need to stop. It's the lived experience and it's something they do for themselves, with themselves, that's going to be important. And her kids are not going to be comparing their mammy to be any the less a mammy than anyone else. Of course, yes. And as we said, they're not complaining about anything because they did get to see Santa in some sort of a, a community-based thing, which, which sounds great. Well, it's, the sa- it's the same Santa, no matter where they're course, seeing it like. You know, it's it's all... It, and it's there's still an opportunity to see the parade in town and there's still an yeah. opportunity to see, you know, all the Christmas stuff that goes which on. Which costs nothing. Costs not. It's yeah. free. And I mean, I know people would see nothing is ever free. It is free. Mm. It is free. Like, and I think this particular town, Clonmel, Thurles, Cashel, Care, all of those towns really go to the ends to make the place look festive. Yes. And it's beautiful. And you couldn't say one is nicer than the other. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. You you get very is sort of animated when you talk about social media. You're really cross about the effect it's having on people. I, because I think there's a negative effect yeah. with it. And it, it's rarely... I, I was delighted last night to be on social media. I saw this, this and this. Most of the time I get peed off when I look at social I know, media yeah. because I know it's enhanced. I know it's not real. Or else you get the people. I went off, as you know, Facebook a number of years ago. But you'd get viciously attacked if you were in public office. Oh, yeah. And yeah. there's there's the element of negativity or you have the late night keyboard warriors that are oh. just free to say what they like. and You don't know what they're after taking or it doesn't matter. Some people just want to do you down. It's far too invasive. I mean, for a system that has invaded the entire world, um, and and you see the kind of when you have people putting up bots that are pretending to be people putting out a viewpoint, getting a narrative going that something becomes very normalised. It's 
it's a dangerous direction to go in. That's I know. I, I discovered it lately myself because I was talking. I, I put up a comment that really was harmless and didn't mean to be judgmental in the least. But there's a question that always intrigues me as to why vegans or vegetarians like their food to look like burgers or to look like meat. I, I just genuinely never understood that. Oh, my sweet God. Fella had a right, right go with me all together about it, you know? Yeah, I know, but you see, people have triggers. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm vegetarian since this year, right? Yes. Um, it's I, I, I normally don't even say it. I just choose something that's on the menu right. that isn't going but, to involve but you, meat. You, you but I do need eat to have fish, something man. look like meat. No, I don't, you? indeed. It, and if I, if I thought I was eating something that looked like... And, I mean, if you ever tried to eat a vegetarian sausage, oh it wouldn't bother... God. Because yes, even I though it might look them. like a sausage, they're appalling. Yeah, they're didn't, appalling. I didn't like it anyway. So it, it was a genuine question. I wasn't even trying to annoy people for a change. But I but think some people are triggered by certain yes. things that people would say, and they choose to be triggered. And you can either choose to be triggered by it or ignore it and just say, "That doesn't affect me." Yes. I don't know why people feel they need to give their top and say any work. Oh, but sure anyway, Lord. look. I don't know. Anyway, letter number two. Dear Phil, I'm a woman in my 20s and during the summer I broke up with my partner of four years. It was more or less mutual, but I was surprised by how much I miss him. And part of me wonders if I made a mistake sometimes, but uh, maybe that's just fear talking. We have a lot of mutual friends, uh, friends, but I've managed to avoid him so far. The problem is, with Christmas coming, a mutual friend is having a New Year's Eve party, and my ex will also be attending. I'm worried about seeing him again, that it will be awkward, but I'm also nervous that, with alcohol taken, one of us will have a big, dramatic, drunken moment... Or indeed, one of us will make a move on the other. I wonder, should I avoid the party entirely? But I really don't want to be sitting at home on my own on New Year's Eve. What should I do? Well, I personally, I wouldn't go if that's her worry, that she's going to get uncontrollably drunk and not be able to control herself with her ex. Um, and I don't see that the option would be that she'll be sitting at home on her own. There surely are more in her circle of yeah. friends and more places to go and maybe even things with her own family or maybe just have a really nice night in with a bottle of wine where she's going to fall fall in love with the pillow. It's just, you know, I mean, it's it's hard for her. She's in her 20s and she broke up with her partner four years and that was in the summertime. I think she should be mature enough to be able to say if she meets them at the party, say, hi, how are things? Or move on. You know, I, I mean... I, yeah, because she's going to have to meet him at some point or other or bump into him at some point. Absolutely. Or other, you know? and, and the other thing is, I think you have to have a certain element. They broke up. Hmm. They broke up for a reason. Yes. And I don't think that there's such a lack of control either in her or her partner that they're going to have the third glass of wine when maybe they should have stopped at two. And then decide, oh God, let's let's have a passionate let's encounter. Let's get it on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? Well, she so, says, I broke up. with, So it was her decision, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, it just says she broke up, but it, it could be that they... No, okay, she said okay, it was more right. or less mutual. But I was surprised how much I miss him. And part of me wonders if I made a mistake. Uh, but that's just fear talking. But she also has a fear of meeting him again. She has a fear of becoming intimate with him again. So, obviously, she broke up with him because that... They, that, that Je ne sais quoi was no longer there in the relationship. And yes. she's worried now that maybe out of some sense of maybe missing him or just romanticising the thing. Yeah. Exactly, the big yeah. nostalgic feeling. So, you know, if it was me, I wouldn't be sitting at home on New Year's Eve 
Well, personally, I will because I hate New Year's Eve always because I just remember when I was giving up smoking, <laughs> which is now about 35 years ago. But the horrors, the horrors of going through the first few days of the so New Year. You associate with no that with... Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just always used to be in bed by midnight on Christmas Eve <laughs> or New Year's Eve and absolutely get up the next day and say, great, grand New Year. Now it's the day to have a big feed. Oh, wait, what am I giving up? <laughs> Not fags, thank God. Yeah. So you you think that she'd be better off to stay away from it if she thinks it's going to end up with if, some if sort she's of that liaison. worried about it. But I mean, the rational part of her will say, "Of course, I'll be mature. I mm. broke up with him. He may come there with another woman. How is she going to feel about that?" Now it's not that life can't stop living because she broke up with somebody when they were together four years. But like, there is a definite element of her worrying about what she might do mm. if she meets him again. Yeah, that's what's coming out of this too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, and of course, she's very young too, isn't she? I mean, I'm sure, she's loads of life left, you know. You she's know, got Goldford and all of that. Um, letter number three, dear Phil, I work in the retail sector with a big group of great people. We all have great fun together, and we get on really well. I really enjoy my job. My problem is, we had our Christmas party last week, and I admittedly drank too much. As a result of my drunken state, I kissed two of my colleagues. And I slept with another. I was mortified when I woke up the next morning and made a quick exit and didn't speak to them that morning. Word of my shenanigans quickly got around and I've been slagged mercilessly since. The colleague that I slept with isn't talking to me either. And I feel awful about that because we almost got on really well. I'm just wondering how I should approach the situation. I've been laughing off the slagging, but it really embarrasses me and I just wish it would all stop. And most importantly, I really miss my friend, but I don't know how to even approach a conversation uh, with them. What should I do to repair friendships and can I again salvage my reputation? I suppose this is this the age-old thing where there are so many people that behave inappropriately at a Christmas shindig Mm. and there's such regrets when it happens and you know I mean her life will continue and her life will go on the fact that all her colleagues knew about it and are openly slagging her is a difficult time to kind of live it down and it's very difficult to laugh that off but this happened and the guy she was with if it's a guy um, you know is obviously mortified as well Mm. Um, I think she should maybe try and have a chat with him and just say, listen, I really, it's a pity this happened or developed or whatever. But like life, if she can't repair friendships that are very important, her reputation, how can she salvage her reputation? Her reputation is her reputation. It's not the rest of her life. It's not a blueprint for how she should behave in future. It's actually an experience that makes her think, do you know what? Drinking too much is a thing. Mm. So if you're going to go out for the night, don't be warming yourself up with wine at home while you're doing the pear thing or whatever it is. What is it about Christmas parties? Because, I mean... You know, I would have seen many, many letters like this over the years. And and I would have read many, many yeah. letters like this over the years as well, Fran, because a lot of people, when they get together and they let the hair down, suddenly there's no, there's no that, you know, there's not that formalising of there's the management structure, there's the sub-management structure, there's the people and here's the, you know, we're running around doing the work and doing all that. Yeah. You have suddenly the gloves are off. Everybody is glamorous. People that look quite staid every day, getting made up and hair up and that's only the fellas. And 
you know, they, and look fabulous and glittery and shiny. And, you know, it's a party night. And generally speaking, there's a lot of effort put into the parties by the management and it's supported very mm. well and they do a lot of good food and really nice drinks. But people should have a real awareness of too much alcohol mm. and maybe not eating all day because thinking you're going to eat the finger food. Yeah. Finger food is not going to put any light on you. On, so. on the tummy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it's a difficult time for her. But but she will prevail. Yes, she'll prevail. She will, yeah. Of course, she'll prevail. But like she will be mortified for so long because, you know. And I suppose if the chap will talk to her and, and he just says, you know, this was an awful mistake, or if he's in a relationship with someone else, because we don't know the backstory mm, to yeah, this, no, yeah. or if she was in a relationship. Now she does. She, I think she would have said it mm. in her letter. I have every sympathy for her because I think it's a difficult thing. She's not the first one this happened to, mm. but I do think people should have an awareness that if you're going out for a Christmas party, and particularly if it is with workmates, there should be an element of decorum, and you should have a three drink rule for certain. Right, but you see, in some cases, the drink is free. You see, um, having free drink doesn't it doesn't mean that you should be free with drinking it and open your gob and slinging it or, back. Or because, feel obliged to drink yeah, as much as you can. Yeah, because people, it, it just, lo- you lose inhibition when you have um, too much alcohol. And too much alcohol when you're working with your colleagues, if they see a very efficient, professional, competent element to you during all of the year and suddenly come in and your letters and yahoo and yippee and you're glittering and shining and shiny and gorgeous. And hugging everybody. And yeah, hugging yeah. everybody, loving everybody and there's not a person in the place you hate, even the person that you hate. But uh, it's, do you know what I mean? It's I a know, difficult yeah. time. It's just one of those age old and like you said, Every year we have this. Every, Every year, year yeah. we have yeah. one of these letters or more of those letters. Yeah. Or there's people I would meet outside and say, you know what, you were talking, that happened to us. <laughs> I know. And, you know, you just, you know that people are not going to be happy with themselves. However, do you know what? It's over. Move on. Move on, yes. But it, but it is remarkable that more than even weddings or other social occasions, it's the blooming Christmas party that seems to be the one that causes all the trouble. Do you know what I think it is, though? There's the whole element, the build-up to Christmas. Now, whilst Christmas started this year in, I think, probably August, um, which does dilute, yes. dilute the excitement a bit because people get so immune to all yeah. of the, the, the carry-on. The fact that I think people really do go all out to look as well as they can. Um, they dress up, there's glitter and glitz and as I said that could be only the fellas. But there, there's a lot of energy and effort there's a lot of looking forward and then there's so much regret if mm. they do. And I mean there's we've had letters where people have made moves on their bosses or their bosses have made moves on them and it it, it really can destroy professional relationships because it's it's a time where really you should be able to say well I can go back to work next week and I can hold my head up and then you're thinking but am I the one they're saying that well that one can't nonsense. hold her head up anyway she couldn't hold up her but she couldn't hold her leg up I, I would have seen situations read about situations where people actually move job because of it you know they're so 
embarrassed by stuff that went on and you know well you see that's the whole thing it's mm. it's very embarrassing but I do think you have to put a context on it and if it's possible if if you can't forget it and get over it and you have fractured relationships professional work relationships where you are working it actually does cause people to rethink well maybe I should move on. However, you do have to realise as well, which is grieved normality, that, you know what, I, I actioned this behaviour. I did drink wine before I went out and then I had wine when I got to the party and I didn't stop. And the other thing I would say to people is make sure you have a friend that is going to say, we're going now. And I know you yeah. might be saying, well, that's kind of spoiling it for the friend, but there's going to be people there that choose not to have any alcohol at all and they're drinking alcohol-free wine, which looks like they might be drinking and they're not. Mm. You know, or alcohol-free beer. Yeah, I like and, that notion to have somebody who, who will say, look, yeah. you know. But it, it, it is a pity that we have normalised that as well, that yeah. you're going to have sort of a minder on the night but there are people that would go out and say well yeah okay I'm going to be drinking the alcohol free stuff not they won't even know I know I know Phil always good to see you thanks thanks, thanks very Fran. much indeed and if you're having a Christmas party do, do mind yourselves won't you we'll take a break back in a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer Slattery's Garage Pecan the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County Slattery'sGarage.com Hi. Delighted to be joined uh, by Susan O'Donoghue, who is a, a psychotherapist and a relationships mentor. And uh, um, this is kind of my weekly therapy. I'm beginning to think about it like that now, Susan. How are you? Great, fine. How are you? Great, great to see you. And uh, you were our panellist last week as well. So we're, we're making full use of you now, Susan. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. You're going to talk to us about leadership with consciousness. Well, what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I suppose I was here last Friday and they were talking about political leaders and all that. And it's not just that. It's leadership like anybody who has the care of somebody else, whether it's uh, like as parents were the architect of the family. I mean, as a, as a relationship mentor, I sit with people. So I have a responsibility around uh, looking at my own behaviour and my own consciousness. And where am I in that? Because if I don't, I'm not in a place to sit with somebody else. So I think anybody who has the care of anybody else, whether it's teachers, whether it's uh, especially, I think, our leaders in politics, right? And uh, even if, as, empl- as employers and stuff like that, we need to take on the responsibility of taking care of our own behaviours and how are they and what kind of, what what are we modelling? Because that's so important, isn't it? Because we all learn from watching other people and as children especially we do, but even as adults, you know, you'll often hear like that somebody really respects somebody. Do you mm. know what I mean? Or they'll mm. think, oh my God, I'd love a bit of what they have or something like that. So I think uh, continuous personal reflection, that's what I like to call it, right? So... To find, to find that space where you can do that takes a lot. You need safety. And, you know, you were just talking there about um, with Phil about that girl who, say, was at the Christmas party, you know, and I, I'd, I'd suggest to her just mind yourself in it, you know what I mean? Yes. And if you need support, go get it, you know, yeah. because that can be hugely traumatic, you know, to have to go in then the next day and face everybody and weeks later, you know, you're still being slagged. That's so upsetting, isn't it? And there's no safety there. She was saying she was laughing it off, but underneath, I'm sure it was. It's a protector, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a protector, yeah. It's it's, it's her way of trying to manage it. Do you know what I'm saying? Instead of coming out... And the thing about it is, is it safe to come out and say, lads, I really feel bad about what happened. I'm really upset over it. Please don't keep slagging me because it's really upsetting me. 
Yes. Do you know, like, is it possible to say that? And that's what I mean by safety in, in a place. Like, and we, like, the people who are slagging her then, that's their protector, mm. right? So then you have, like, defensive behaviour or protector, meet and protector, and then there's no communication, no honest, open, direct communication. What there is then is there's more protectors, protectors and nobody gains from that. It just keeps us stagnant or even pushes us, pushes us back at times. So I think to create safety in a workplace, in the country, from our leaders, yeah? And it comes from the top down. There's mm. no two ways about it. Um, in our homes, in our schools, it's a blessing. There's no two ways about it. To be able to go in and voice what you need to voice and know that you won't be judged, that you won't be slagged, that you won't be told to shut up, that you won't be told that you're stupid, that you won't be told all these things because I think they're huge fears for us. Mm. Like, and I would just say to people, like, in your workplace, right, or even in your family of origin, how safe was it for you to say, if somebody said something really mean, how safe was it for you to say, listen, that really upsets me. Please don't say that again. Like and, how, and for many people, of course, that wasn't an option, you know. Well, for me, it definitely wasn't anyway. Yeah. You know, you'd be told, get on with it and pull your socks up and cop on. You wouldn't even be listened to. I don't yeah. think they would have heard me anyway. But I think that creating that relational safety and that psychological safety is huge, no matter where, what, what setting you're in. And to get to that place for a leader or for somebody... Um, an, an architect of the family, for teachers, principals, for whoever, you need the opportunity to find that safety for yourself to examine your own behaviour. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, we would have heard about a lot of historic leaders that weren't prepared to listen to the truth, for example, from minions around them, you know. They were afraid to bring them the truth of what was happening with battles in the case of Hitler and in the case of other uh, well-known figures. So they had built this thing around them that, you know, don't, don't bring me... Yeah, well, they were living reality. out of their perception of their story. Yeah. It doesn't make sense because if you listen to Hitler's story, he had a fairly hard upbringing. Like, yeah. you know, it wasn't all hugs and kisses and love, far from it. So, and I'm not saying that's an excuse. Of course, of that's course. That's not yes, an excuse. Yeah, yeah. But if we get an understanding of how he came to hate the Jews, yes. yeah, and if we understand that and then we look at, oh my goodness, sure, that's what was driving him. It may not drive other people if they were brought up like that, but that seems to be what was driving him. And then that that's a protector now, right? So that's his way of, I suppose, putting up a wall against his, um, I suppose, what he felt the Jews did, did to him, yes. right? So that's what he was doing back. So that's a protector. So as long as we criticise, we blame, we put him down and all that, right? There's no doubt the behaviour has to be stopped. But if we get an understanding of where he's coming from, it's only then... Yes that we can put a, like support him to have a look at himself. But isn't that very interesting in the world that we're in now, the world of single narrative, where open discussion is discouraged for fear that you may create some other sort of dynamic. But but it's, it's nobody's talking about the stuff that that's important to them. You know? Yeah, well, I think people are becoming really fearful to say anything or speak out what they feel, right, yes. from their own perception. And it's not that... I mean, if I say something here in this, the show, right, it's not that I say it to hurt anybody else, but it's my perception of it, mm. right? That's the only place I can come from is my story. I can't come from anyone else's because I didn't live it. So I'm just working out of my own story. Now, to be open to what other people have to say, mm. Mm. that's beautiful because then I can have a discussion. I'm not trying to shove my beliefs or my perception down somebody else's throat. But it's nice to be able to sit with somebody and say, 
this is how I feel around it now. That doesn't mean that I'll feel that way around it in three months' time. But at the moment, this is how I feel around it. Isn't that a lovely, like, yes, kind way to be able to express, you know? Well, I remember over the years being involved with management, for example, but nobody ever gave me that kind of information. Yeah, well, I don't think, see, it's huge now, right? Say Amy Edmondson would have been one of the, the fearless organisations, one of her books, but she would have done huge research on organisational and psychological safety. And she said when people don't speak up, the, organ, the organisation's ability to innovate and grow is threatened. Wow. And that is the truth, because if we dampen down what people say, if, we, if they're not allowed to voice what what their creative expression or if they're fearful around being called stupid or you know yes. making them look like less intelligent or you know if the, if that kind of sense of protectors are at work what happens then is people won't express it because it's too fearful it's too threatening so we lose this amazing um i suppose uh, what it's a resource, oh, it's isn't it? beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah, like people's, yeah. you know, inner thoughts. That's how we create, that's how we express, that's how we come up with new ideas, how we're innovative. So if we don't allow that in organisation, and this has been recognised for years now, so there's a huge amount of books out around it, but if we don't recognise that, now we're in trouble. Hmm. Now there's no new creations, there's no, you know, coming up with fabulous ideas, you know, and that's why, like, in a lot of American companies would have adopted it first, of course, right, yes, about this yeah. organisational psychological safety, uh, where you're allowed to speak what you feel without hmm. criticism. Yeah, many of those companies, they've taken the formality out of the corporate world as well. Yeah, to... they try to make it comfortable for people <coughs> yes. to be able to voice what they believe and what they... like. You know, I suppose it's very threatening sometimes to be sitting in an organisation if they don't have that safety, you know what I mean? And it's hard even if you've worked on yourself, mm. yeah? And mm. if you've looked at your own behaviours. But you'll get a sense, won't you, when you walk into a room of whether it's safe or not. Mm. You know, you might only be in the room two minutes and you'll get this sense of, ooh... I'm not you, going to say that in here. You mean you're picking up on the atmosphere of, of the room? And yeah, the, yeah, you know. And you know by people. And like they say, tone of voice is one of the, you know, um, I suppose, one of the most hurtful things. And it is. The way people say stuff can be so damaging to how you feel around about yourself, you know. And I think that, uh, you know, the verbal communication, that's just like a tiny percent of it, isn't it? Body language is huge, how someone actually, mm. you know, looks at you when they say something, you know, the look that kills. It's everything combined. But I think that the verbal is only a tiny bit of it. You know, it's how you say something. It's interesting, isn't it, yeah? Mm. You you can take this into the home then, I guess, as well, in terms of leadership, I suppose. Of course it is. Sure, look, as parents, aren't we the architects of the family? Yeah. So if we're not, it's all back down to the continuous personal reflection. It's all back down to looking at our own behaviours. It's never about working on somebody else, right? And that's the mistake, I think. And it's not really a mistake, but that's the protector we use a lot, is that we look out there and try and fix what's going on. You know, oh, my child or my, you know, my my, my husband or, you know, my wife or whatever. They're, um, you know, it's their fault. Mm. We'll blame, right? Because it's it's easier to blame out there than to actually look at what's going on inside for us. Because when we have to look what's going on inside, we have to look at our story. Because that's where we're coming and, from. And, and sometimes that's very difficult painful. to do, isn't it? Hugely yeah. painful. But in my experience... And from everybody I've ever sat with, it's more painful to stay in that hidden place. Yes. Yeah. So it's such a relief to be able to not hide that anymore and to be able to express what I truly feel. There's nothing in the world as freeing or as wonderful as that. There's nothing harder than to be in that protective place where I feel threatened by everything. 
Mm. Yeah, that's surviving. When I get to the stage where I can find a bit of safety within relationship with somebody else, because remember, it's true relationship that we build these protectors, that we put them together for ourselves to mind us, yeah? There's nothing wrong with them. They're there to protect us, yeah? So we put them in place to keep ourselves safe. But we're so amazing that we keep it unconscious to ourselves, right? Now, I know, I, I think we're fabulous. I think we're amazing. I, I think we're just ingenious. Just and how we get by. How we get by as small children and how we put all these protectors in place to mind us going forward. And then what happens is we carry them into our adulthood where we don't nece- necessarily need them anymore because now we are definitely in charge of our own lives once we hit 18, yeah? We, now we're really writing our own book. Yeah, in the sense of we can do it consciously where we don't have to use these protectors anymore. But because we've put them into place and because the world is so fearful and we haven't found the safe space to look at them, we just continue on with them. And I get a lot of clients who will say to me, why do I keep drawing the same kind of relationships the whole time? Why do I keep, you know, ending Mm. up with the same people? Like, why does this keep happening to me? And it's because we need to find the safety to explore our behaviours and see what's going on for us so that we can connect it back to our story. So therefore, we'll have an understanding of why we use it. And it's never about not using it. It's about understanding it. Because the minute I understand it, then I know why I'm using it. And now I have a choice around it if I want to use it or not. And what happens, Susan, when you begin to get a grasp on all of this, but you're still not getting it right? Do you know what I mean? There's no getting it right, though, is there? Is there yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, friend, there's no right or there's no wrong in this. It's just, our, what I see it is, is yeah. it's like a life journey. It's not, it's not something like, I wish there was a switch when I started, right? I, the impatience was huge that I just wanted not to be living like this anymore. It was too hard. I just wanted to just get over it and be done and just live, you know, consciously and not have any, you know, stuff in me anymore. But the, I think it's like, we, it takes us so long to put all these protectors in place. There is no magic switch. There is no magic pill. There is no magic anything. But I guarantee you that if you start in this journey, you won't go back because right. it's freeing. It's too, it's too hard to live with all those protectors because everything is fearful. You know what I mean? And you just don't understand what's happening for you consciously. Now, there's always a knowing there. Because mm. remember, we mm. put this stuff in place, but it's unconscious to us. So once we start to bring it to consciousness and understand... Oh, that's why I'm doing this. That's why, like, I, I feel fearful when I'm in this situation. Or that's why I feel so threatened when whatever happens to me. You know what I mean? Like, for me personally, it would have been conflict. Mm. I would have ran a million miles from fighting. I hated it, right? It absolutely scared the life out of me. So I would have been the passive one where I would run away and went into the corner and <gasps> wait was gone, yeah? Also, a carer, being a carer was another one for me because then I got seen true caring. So we take on these protectors, right? And they work wonderfully for us when we're small. They get us to 18. But now do I really need it anymore? I'm going to keep using it unless I understand it. Mm. But the minute I can connect back, sure, you know, um, like my mum, my mum has passed away and she would have been, she would have had loads of labels like manic depressant and all that. And it was very tough upbringing. So it's no wonder I was fearful of conflict. So when I started to join the dots of it, do you know what I mean? And started to see that, sure, my mother would have been aggressive, right? So it scared the life out of me. And that doesn't mean now that everybody who's, who sees aggression will respond of like course, that. Yes, but, but that, that was, was my, your, your story, my unique yes. story and yes. my unique way of responding. So it took me a long time then to be able to assert myself and not to be so fearful around aggression. It's yeah. very interesting indeed. And 
as I say, even when you understand then or you're coming to an understanding of what is driving some of our actions, not always can we act upon that and fix that. As you say, it's a journey. It's, it's a, a journey. journey. And the thing about it is, is I always see it like there's, so, there's some protectors that are harmful, right, yes. to others, yeah? And I think those protectors, obviously, there needs to be boundaries around them, yeah? What, what do you mean, like addiction? Like... I mean, like, um, say, aggression. Someone's aggression, aggression yes. and they actually lash out and hit somebody. Like, there needs to be boundaries around that, right? But I guarantee you, the person who's been har- hit, right, needs as much support as the person who's hitting and vice versa. So we don't, we don't, like, if we're in a really now, people place, will jump up and down I know, at I that. Know. You, you know, know that, don't know you? That, you know, and say, I know, and you know. that's important that they do if that's yeah. where they're at. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's the way I see it. Yes. But what I'm saying is that, like, if we look at behaviours of somebody who lashes out on somebody else, of course the behaviour should be stopped. Of course there should be consequences put in place. Of course there should be. But if we just put people into jail and lock them up, right? Mm. If we do that, right? We're not solving any problem. We're just locking them up. And like it's been it's been proven over and over again that people who get locked up in prison come out the other end and they're even they're even, you know, yeah. there's no, yeah. there's no, there's no like, and I know they get loads of stuff in prison and I know they get better treated than older people sometimes and I know all that, right? But I'm not saying that side of it. I'm just saying that if we get an understanding of what's actually happening for them, there may be some way then to support them to, that they can look at themselves and look at their own behaviours so that if they ever do have a getting out date, right, mm. that they have done the work on themselves that maybe they'll be in a better place. As opposed to just locking them up. As opposed to just locking them up and leaving them there. Yeah. Right. And leaving them get involved in whatever goes on in prisons, which, you know what I mean? Yeah. It'd be interesting to go in and research. And when you <laughs> saw the rioting in Dublin, for example, with people behaving like, you know, I mean, yeah. they were called all sorts of things yeah. at, at the time. Some of it rather unfortunate commentary around it, even though I can understand. But they all have a story. Is, is yeah. that. My thing is, their behaviour is unacceptable before everybody jumps up and down. Yes. Should should there should be boundaries in place against it, a hundred and ten percent. But there is a story there. Yeah. Right? We don't come out of the womb aggressive. Yeah. We don't come out of the room with the womb hating people. Yeah. Now there's a womb world as well and a lot goes on in there too. But that's a whole other day's work. But like we don't necessarily come out with that viciousness, that hate, that's and I'm not saying the behaviour's okay, not by a long shot. But if we don't seek to understand it, if we don't have a deeper look at it and try and make sense of it, right, or even get them to try and make sense of it, which is more important because they need to make sense of their own behaviours, our lives need to be examined by ourselves. We need to know why we do the things we do. We need to understand how was it for me. And uh, Susan, some of the brightest and the best would go along with this. Why don't we apply it? Because if we applied it properly, we wouldn't have any of the nonsense that we have now right around the world. Yeah, well, this is true. But I think it's because, look, I just feel that, like, there's so many protectors. Our parents had them, right? They pass them on. We pass them on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I suppose if I was to give you an example now of, say, because I was, say... Um, I would have ran from conflict, right? So I would have been passive. Because I did that, right, when I had children then, right, because I wouldn't have started examining myself when I when I had the, when the lads were really small. But I would have, I would have, oh, please don't be fighting. Please, this, this is what would have went on. So they couldn't have even had a decent old argument around me. Do you know what I mean? Because you were scared of that. Because it, it was frightening, frightening for me. Yes. Yeah? So, like, I'd be like, oh, lads, please don't be fighting. You know, this kind of sense of that. Whereas there's nothing wrong with a bit of conflict. Do you yes, know what I mean? Yeah. As long as they're not, you know, killing one another in the middle of it. But like, that's what I'm saying. So 
we pass that on. But can you deal with a, a, a situation of conflict now? Now, oh yeah, yeah, I'd be a lot Could better. You? Yeah, I would be a lot better now. I wouldn't wouldn't shy away from it. But that took years. So what I'm saying to you is, it takes years to put these protectors in place. Yeah. Yes. And if I felt uncomfortable now, if I felt that I didn't want to be around conflict, if I felt that it wasn't right for me now, I would remove myself and I wouldn't have an issue around it. Right. Mm. What I'm saying to you is, it's to do it consciously. Yes. It's to be aware of what your protectors are. It's to know that, like, I'd say I wouldn't need my that protector now in every situation I'd be in. But now I choose what I want for myself because now I'm listening to what's going on inside for me. How is this working for me now? Am I okay here? What do I need to do around it? Do I need to run away? Am I okay to stay here? Hmm. You, that, that's the difference. Does that make sense? It does make yeah. sense, yeah. yeah it does you know, make, make that's, perfect it's sense. It's about yeah. listening in, not listening out. Yeah? yeah, but I mean, really what I've gained from uh, today is that it is a, a journey. I'm hugely impatient, for example. I can't... De- I Slow people in queues. And st- I, I, I get up to 90 about it. Yeah. I understand it's a reaction to something. Yeah. I know it shouldn't be the case, but I haven't conquered it yet. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose it's always to link it back. Yeah. You know... And, you know, who was imp- impatient for you maybe when you were small? And I'm only yeah. guessing, do you know? Yeah. And how was it, like, not to be seen to be doing things when you were told to do them when you were small? Not yeah. to be, you know, sitting around. Like, it's it's always linked back. I don't know I'm only throwing things out. Yeah, yeah. But you'll know what sits right for you. And it's about, it will come up for you when you're ready, when you find that lovely safety in relationship. Because remember, it's true relationship that we create these protectors. So it's going to be true relationship that we'll be able to choose whether or not to of use course, them. Of course, yes. But my impatience, it doesn't harm or affect anybody other than me. It, yeah. it drives me nuts. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know and what I mean? And the reason, now remember, all our feelings are for us and about us, right? So anything that comes up for us, right, is a message from ourselves. And you remember I spoke before about the emergency feelings. So you know that sense of impatience, that really driving me nuts? Is yes. that the lovely word yes. you use? Like that sense of urgency. Yes. Yeah. Is an urgent message from yourself that you need to look inwards and mind yourself in this because it's something's coming up for you. Wow. And that's an opportunity, Frank. You'll have to send me the bill, Susan, for, for, <laughs> for sure. If people want to talk to you, Susan, how can they do that? Sure, it's uh, info at emotionalwellbeing.ie and it's 086-366-256. Thanks, Fran. All right, great to see you, Susan. Thanks very much. We'll take a break. I'll be back to you in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, I was saying to Phil earlier that I made an observation on Twitter, or X as it is now, about... It was, it was just curiosity, really, because I was wondering why some people who are vegan or vegetarian like to eat their vegetarian food shaped like a burger or looking like meat in some way. Anyway, uh, one of our listeners says, Fran, I 1000% agree with you regarding vegetarian food. I've been vegetarian for over 40 years. I do not want to eat something that looks or tastes like meat. Veggie food can be so tasty without looking like meat or tasting like it. So you speak your mind, boy. Thanks very much indeed for that. Somebody is saying, Fran, I'm a vegetarian and there is no way I will eat anything that looks like meat. Oh, yuck. 
I don't care about the animals being killed. I just hate the texture, says one of our listeners. And Tammy was on to us. I'm going to leave you with this and says, as somebody who buried my own dad six weeks ago, I thought Shane's send off was fantastic. It's a celebration of the person's life. And we were very lucky with Dad's arrangements uh, from Father Tony of Upper Church. And he was kindness personified. And we could not bring anything we we could bring anything we felt represented him to the altar. It was very much Dad's mass and what he represented. And the wonderful James O'Mara Ryan from Strings and Things sung uh, The Old Man at the Graveside. We got to say our goodbye to Dad in our way and in a way that he would have loved. It is, of course, a sad occasion, and to be honest, I'm heartbroken. I never felt grief like I feel for my dad, but over the days of the funeral, we laughed and we told stories and we cried. It's our last thing that we can do for our loved one, and it should be a celebration of them. Nina Parrish showed how human and kind they are, and that's what people need when grieving, not rules and regulations. Kindest regards, and that comes in from Tammy. That's it from me. Emma produced. Ali looks after our content. Stephen is coming up with the time tunnel and I'll talk to you tomorrow. And just before I go, our tickets for the uh, concert for the uh, Clonmel Rugby Club Male Boys Choir going to Anne Fitzgerald of Albert Street in Clonmel and Rita Walsh of uh, Clonmel as well. And uh, that concert is happening this Thursday night at the Abbey House of Prayer, formerly the Friary in Clonmel. We wish them well. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.